Are you ready to rewind? Take a nostalgia filled ride back to a simpler time. It's Acid Wash Memories, a retro pop culture celebration. And now, your hosts, Joe Morata and Michael Quinn. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 37 of Acid Wash Memories, a retro pop culture celebration. Today, we are talking all about The Wizard of Oz. My name is Joe Murata, alongside our very own Tin Man, Michael Quinn. How you doing there, Michael? Hi, I'm Hi. Mr. Tin. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah, toot toot. Toot toot. Comes out of my head or whatever. <laughs> comes right out of your head. Folks, wherever you might be, perhaps over the rainbow, thank you guys so much for taking some time out and listening to Acid Wash Memories. If this is your first time here, we do hope you stick around. You can check out 36 other episodes where, Quinn? In the archives. In the archives. And we each week is something different. So we talk about retro pop culture. And if you don't like one week, well, there's another week there for yeah, you to check out. Yeah, just go to the next thing. Just go to the next thing. Thank you. And of course, everyone that's been with us, thank you for returning here because we're going to be talking about The Wizard of Oz before we do that. Want to remind you guys, if you have Twitter, you can follow us there at AWM Podcast, and you can also join on Facebook, Acid Wash Memories. It's a discussion group, mm-hmm. a few hundred people there, and we talk yeah. about old stuff, post pictures, whatever you want to do. See, it's busy over there. It is busy it's over there. talking about their old things. It's like a tornado of activity over there, you yeah. might even say. Uh-huh. So follow that yellow brick road over to our Facebook group, uh, Acid Wash Memories. Some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. All right, well, I've made enough puns for now, anyway. I want to start by saying one thing. Normally, I ask you a question, you know, Quinn, mm-hmm. what is shoes or whatever, right? Yeah. I'm going to peel back the curtain a little bit. Quinn, why did you, of all people, suggest that we do this episode? Well, because my friend here, Joseph, is a <laughs> huge aficionado of The Wizard of Oz. I am. And I figured this would be right up your alley. It we, is. We, we could talk about this, and I have my own thoughts on this movie. Perfect. My experiences, but I'm not the big expert, so that's kind of your forte here. You're not a buff. I'm not a buff, but I've definitely seen The Wizard of Oz like a zillion times yeah. in my life. I think Who most, hasn't? Yeah, I think most of the people listening, whatever country you're in, it's global, this yeah. movie. It's everywhere. And uh, I think everyone has seen it at least once. I'd say yeah. probably more than it once. It might be everyone's seen it at least twice Probably <laughs> in this situation. I, I would really be surprised if anyone listening has never seen it. Now, I'm not saying you'll like it still. Although a lot of people really love this movie. It's it's a Technicolor treasure, if you will. And even if you don't love it, I think people like it. It's not like hated or anything. Or at least appreciated, right? Yeah. I want to very briefly, and then we're going to get to the good stuff here. I want to briefly share what Quinn was alluding to. So I first saw this movie probably when I was four or five. I probably saw it around yeah. the same age. 89 yeah. or 90, I would have seen it. Around that time, a 50th anniversary book came out. Yeah, the book. Yeah, the book. In celebration of the 50th anniversary of The Wizard of Oz, MGM UA Home Video proudly presents a special collector's supplement to the classic motion picture. This book, even though I couldn't read really at the time, I looked at the pictures all the time. I studied these behind the scenes pictures and these test photographs. So from a very young age, over 30 years ago, I became enamored with not just the movie, the movie I've seen a million times. But the making of, right. the, the performances, all these little aspects here, that's kind of what we're going to focus on in today's episode, folks. I think everyone knows the plot. We will recap the plot, yes, of course, when we get there. But it's more than just the plot. It's how did this all start? How did we get to making a movie? What went into making the movie? What came after the movie was released? The right? legacy, like the, the, like legacy. the technical achievement of it all. Yeah. 
There's a lot to this because it is a classic film, right? It's known worldwide, like I said. It maintains. And it's actually like an actual classic, yeah. meaning in the sense of like old Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Actual classic. Old Hollywood. Yeah. It's maintained its popularity for like three quarters of a century. Mm-hmm. You know, it's treated today, in my opinion, like an heirloom. It's passed down to each new generation of yeah. kids, right? Yeah. And some would call it a timeless classic. Some would call it the greatest movie of all time. I don't, but. Some others might even call it overrated. Whatever you think of it, it is whimsical. It is musical. A little scary. Yeah. A little funny. Oh, it's got some scary stuff. There's some scare. Weird. It's got some weird in it. But most of all, I think it's undeniably influential and memorable. Yes. And that's its biggest legacy. So we're here to tell that story, the perilous production, the trials, and ultimately the triumph of The Wizard of Oz. You have to see The Wizard, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. So most people know this. Uh, the movie was released in 1939. Right. But the story of The Wizard of Oz goes back almost 40 years before that, to the mm-hmm. turn of the century. So we have to talk about L. Frank Baum, the author of the book. A book writer. A book writer. Uh, Lyman Frank Baum. Yeah, Lyman. Lyman. Everyone's <laughs> named that. Yeah. He was born in 1856, pre-Civil War. Queen. Wow. I mean, he was, he was like a child as the Civil War was occurring. But he was, yeah, he was born as a baby, from what I understand, right, too. It's yeah. crazy. Really? He wasn't <laughs> like Benjamin Button. He was no. born an old man. No, he was, he was born a baby. And he loved the theater. He loved writing plays, you know, in his teen and adult years. And he founded a newspaper uh, that failed. And in 1897, he wrote some uh, Mother Goose stories as prose, like yeah. books of prose. I mean, it was the gay 90s. People were just making money on anything. 100%. Mother Goose, whatever. Mother Goose. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, L. Frank Baum here, Lyman, he had a habit of making up stories, you know, to entertain his kids in the local neighborhood children and things like that. They would get together. He would Remember, there's no TV. You know, there's nothing to really, there's shit to do. There's oh, no yeah. radio. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there, there's shit to do, just different shit. Yeah. Maybe shoveling shit, possibly. <laughs> Maybe pushing a wheel on a stick with yeah. a stick, right? I mean that that happened. Yeah. Uh, but As the industrial age, let's not let's not lower them to <laughs> the wheel on a stick. I'm sorry. Okay. But he was especially fond of a book you might have heard of by Lewis Carroll known as Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. The whimsy, a little girl transported to a very strange place. Right. He was very fond of that. And in 1900, around this time, he was he would tell the kids a story. There's a lot of legends about how he came upon this, and we won't get into that. In 1900, a book was finally published, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, which was later shortened in later printings to The Wizard of Oz. Right. The Wonderful Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum, Chapter 1. The Cyclone. Dorothy lived in the midst of the great Kansas prairies with Uncle Henry, who was a farmer, and Aunt Em, who was the farmer's wife. And maybe some of you have read the book. I read it as a kid. I found I might, the, I might have read it too. I might have been somebody might have left it on a table, and I was like, "Oh, I know the movie." And then right. you read it, and it's like kind of similar, and you're like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, and it's a little dry. Yeah, for a kid's book, it's uh-huh. kind of dry. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But anyway, this book, brief recap of the book plot, uh, tells a story as we know of a, a little Kansas farm girl. She's whisked away in a tornado or a cyclone to a magical land of Oz where she accidentally, of course, kills a witch, befriends a scarecrow, uh, a tin woodsman, and a lion, and then embarks on a journey to find the wizard in an effort to get back home. That's a short version. Okay? Mm-hmm. Nice and short and sweet there. Yeah? Good! And there are, we need to mention this, because we even, you and I were in the same US2 history class in high school, Quinn. We heard about some of the theories about the political agenda behind the Wizard of Oz. William right. Jennings Bryan and the new, yeah. you know, remember that? There was definitely theories behind, you know, there's symbolism and meaning behind some of the stuff in this book. And I mean, some of that also just could have come with the when it was written, you know, people of the day. And and you don't know what leaks in what's in the mind of the author 
in the you time don't. in the times that he's living in when he's writing it, right? Subconscious imagery, yeah. perhaps, right. and things like that. You know, the silver shoes representing the silver standard, uh, Oz for OZ, meaning the gold standard, yeah. like all, the gold ounces. But none of that's ever been confirmed by anyone. There's a lot of theories. You can look them up on your own time. Religious interpretations and all these other things. For the sake of this show that we're doing, this is a fantasy story about a girl in a strange land, mm-hmm. okay? That's all we're talking about here. I'll, I'll take it at face value. Exactly. That's what we're doing here, and we hope you guys do that with us. But uh, the book, you might not know this, was actually a very big success. It was a good-selling book. and it spo- I could see that. Yeah, it was yeah. very successful. And Families could buy it. Right, put it in their bookshelf, and the you know kid could read it, or an adult could read it. Or read it to your kid, perhaps. Yeah. Right. It spawned a million sequels. I'm not going to read all of them, but here's just a handful: The Marvelous Land of Oz, Ozma of Oz, Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz, ah. The Road to Oz, The Emerald City of Oz, The Patchwork Girl of Oz, TikTok of Oz. It's a lot of Oz. Uh, the Scarecrow of Oz, Rink Tink in Oz, The Lost Princess of Oz, The Tin Woodman of Oz, The Magic of Oz. And Glinda of Oz, alongside many other. Uh, how much of this is a cash grab, and how many of those were written? Probably like all within the span of like, <laughs> like two years or something. It's probably like, somehow. I didn't look, but it's probably yeah. about a ten to fifteen year span. It's yeah. not a long time. Yes, it was a success. And what do you do with successful pieces of literature back in that time? You put it on a stage somewhere, right? Right. I mean, it's, literature was still hot back yeah. then, especially when you don't have like radio or TV or anything, right? Exactly. So it's like it was like. Theater books, like those, these, these were the primary forms of entertainment. Right, so, you take a novel, you take a play. So having a hit book, that's a huge deal. That really is a Just huge in, deal in and of itself. It legitimately is, and that would lead to stage adaptations. And the first one of which was in 1902. So mm-hmm. I want you to mark that for you, date people here. That's only two years after the book came out. They're already putting it on stage. L. Frank Baum Lyman, he actually produced it, this initial version. It was on in Chicago and then Broadway and then toured until its final run in 1909. So it had a seven-year run. Wow. It's pretty, actually pretty long. Pretty it's successful. Longer than I would think. Right? And then there was something in 1908 in the midst of this called the Fairy Log and Radio Plays. This isn't a radio show, but it's a film by L. Frank Baum himself using like a combination of hand-tinted slides with people dressed up in costume, hmm. actors, and actual film. Silent, and, of course. Silent, of course. And then in 1910, there was a 13-minute silent film and it was a uh, rudimentary again 13 minutes i mean this is the of the day this is what it's joe showed me a picture it looks almost scary and frightening <laughs> um, and cheap yes. um but this is this was about what was they were capable on film in this time scarecrow costume not actually that bad, it's not to be bad. that's not a bad scarecrow it's not like, a bad can scarecrow we, can we give props over props there props to the scarecrow and is that a lion costume i see on the bottom <laughs> it looks right like there a puppet maybe yeah. i'm not sure but uh yes a 13 minute short film and this was based on that 1902 stage play pretty good timing for writing this and then all these forms of media started emerging that like is a very bit of serendipity, with, huh? With that, within like ten-ish years. <laughs> That's a good like, point, right? Yeah, radio comes out, and the nineteen twenty-five silent film. Yes, only fourteen years before the famous one. There was a another silent one. This was a full lengther. This was an hour and a half. Wow. But this one is a little bit different, and I'm going to tell you why. So you can look this one up, folks. It's available on YouTube in full. It was like a farce. It was a bit of a comedy. Okay. More of like a Three's Company meets Wizard of Oz, you know? So it went for a, a jokier version of it, not not playing it straight. Not playing it straight. And Dorothy in this one is supposed to be 18 years old. Well, she definitely is an older actress. I yes. mean, she, that actress looks like, what, 23, 24? Probably like 20s, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Dorothy <laughs> like she, Dawn. She does not look like a kid. Yeah, she does not look like a kid. 
Tin Man was played by a young Oliver Hardy, huh. who of course went on to uh, form Laurel and Hardy with Stan Laurel. Wow, the Laurel and Hardy. The Laurel and Hardy. Interesting. For the first time in our lives, we are a success. And the Scarecrow is a, a man named Larry Seaman. Good. And uh, he, he was he was actually well received as the Scarecrow, but overall the mo- the movie was reviewed as crappy. Put him up. Put him up. In 1933, there was a very inconsequential nine-minute cartoon. This is exactly what you would expect. It's a cartoon. Literally looks like something made by Walt Disney yeah, or something. looks like, like a like Disney. early Walt Disney. Speaking of cartoons, in 1937, a groundbreaking film was released to widespread acclaim, Snow White mm-hmm. and the Seven Dwarfs. Now, don't tell me who you are. Let me guess. I know. You're Doug. What? Why, why, yeah. Yeah. That's true. Amazing technical achievement for the time. Yes. The Nobody's seen animation like that. Full-length animated feature. Right. Not just a little cartoon. No, we're talking like an actual movie length. A movie. Obviously, that's Walt Disney when it was actually like Walt Disney himself doing yeah. it. Yeah. And this was just not done until this no. point. Like, <laughs> and it in was color. Like, yeah. I mean, these were things, these animated features, they were shorts that they showed before the movie started. Literally. Right? Like, and in between the two. Right. So what, what if we made an entire movie, which, remember the manpower behind making an animated movie, they, there was no computer, so it was like hand-drawn and like incrementally oh and God. like, yeah, and then... It is an achievement. It, it's like an actual... And then the lip-syncing, because yeah. now, now it's 37, you got sound. That's right? a great point, yeah. yeah. I think a lot of the, the relation of the development of movies goes into this, because you got to think about how wild it is that The Wizard of Oz, the final product that we got, in the time it existed, literally like ten years before talkies were, became a thing, like, yeah, like thing movies with sound that was synced, not yeah. like just an organ player playing right, right, or a piano or something. Like, in, during every single one, like an individual organ player. Yeah, it's a good time to talk about that actually, Quinn, yeah. because uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. This probably wouldn't surprise anyone. For its time and for a period of time, was the highest grossing talkie. Ever. Right. Which is not surprising. But, they, but it's also they're new. Because they're new. Like, they're, right? of course, probably every year, like, the neck, the big movie of that year was probably. the highest grossing talkie. <laughs> but as far as the state of the movies in the 30s, like you were saying here with all of this, um, you know, there were experiments as far back as the late 1800s with talking films. Yeah, but the sinking was the problem. They couldn't, right. they couldn't, fi- they didn't have the technology. They couldn't figure it out. It wasn't until the 20s that it became more practical technology-wise, and the jazz singer, I think a lot of people know mm-hmm. this, was... It was the first big hit. It was not the first ever talking picture. 28 or 29? 27. 27. I'm glad of it. I'd rather please you than anybody I know of. It was a seismic shift, the jazz singer. When it came out, overnight, it was like, Hollywood was like, we can't not make it like this now. Right. Like, it was like every studio, there's, a, there's whole things about this separately, but every studio invested in the equipment started f- figuring out, okay, what actors can do this, and if they can't, uh, they don't work for us anymore. Yeah. It was that seismic. Like, people lost their careers. Like I said, large investments into the equipment because it's new equipment, so it's expensive. Mm-hmm. It was yep. considered essential that movies going forward have sound. It just, it was seismic. Yeah, and that was 27 when that came out, and throughout the 30s, that's when that transition that you're talking about took place. Yeah. Throughout the 1930s. And honestly, a lot of them are fascinating because especially the ones where it's like a, a silent movie star, like, for example, um, like Greta Garbo. Her first talkie was in 30. Give me a whiskey. Ginger, it on the side. 
it's just it's fascinating because it's somebody that you know viewers know and they've never heard their voice. Yeah, isn't that and this, crazy? And this is the it's like it's like coming out like of a door, like you know, and like oh, everything's completely different, just like the Wizard of Oz. Kind of right? like the Wizard of Oz, right? right? It's like from it's, black and white to color. It's like I, oh, I know who Greta Garbo is. She was in that silent movie, and then you hear her talk. Yeah. You never heard her talk before. That's crazy. Right? The conversion that happened, right? There. Yeah, it really is. You know, speaking of color, that was another aspect here. The same around the same time because. You know, most people know The Wizard of Oz is filmed in Technicolor, which is a no longer used process. And what it basically is, and this is a very bare bones explanation, is uh, different strips of black and white film that are put through a specific process to colorize it. And you mix it all together. Mm -hmm. Three strip was the most popular. But the first version of Technicolor was experimented with in 1916. And then there were various iterations and experiments throughout the 20s and 30s. Uh, But all of these, uh, until the three strip process had a limited color spectrum. It was not until 1932 when Three Strip came out. There were a lot more colors. It looked like real color. It looked like actual life. Exactly. (laughs) Technically, color. Merry Melodies, you know, the Warner Brothers cartoons, Mm -hmm. they were in Technicolor. You know, you've ever seen the color. used to say it right in the the beginning. Exactly. Snow White was Uh in Technicolor. And Isn't it f- fascinating that like there was there like before the movie started they would actually be like yo this is in Technicolor like it'd be written on the screen it's a like, big deal man it's like you're in for a treat you seriously are because you ever watch like a black and white cartoon it just looks so much better in color yeah although I still think there's a thing for black and white movies I agree the, the, there's a there's, oh, I agree. some movies are better in black and white like Clark's like, like, just kidding no but I just mean remember when Turner colorized all those like <laughs> people classic people were like what is this why is like, it, why it's did a you, wonderful life in color like, why did you do this yeah. like this wasn't not this wasn't necessary gob gob dob mob knock. the last Technicolor film if you care about this sort of thing was in 1955 so the process has they been moved gone to a different process process of color but Snow White back to that real quick you know that was the first real sign in terms of the cinema that a full-length feature fantasy children geared movie could be huge in color with sound yeah it's yeah. like all the modern elements that yeah, we have yeah. today you know mm-hmm. so don't think that all of the big five took note of that what are the big five the studio system of course mm-hmm. this is a period of time where the studios dominated had a monopoly on filmmaking i mean they controlled every asset of the business down to all the actors were like contracted they were like yep. a team Contract like, right players, it's like, yes. so they, they they had owned the actors they owned the writers they mm-hmm. owned they owned everything the in the studio. process of making it but they also owned the theaters yes they owned the theaters they, like, yep. like they owned ev- they owned every single thing and obviously i'm sure the u.s government was eyeing that for a number of years before they finally broke that oh, they, shit. Oh, they busted that, started busting that in the late 40s. Yeah, because, I mean, that is, that's a racket right there. That like, is, the, the, to own every single facet from the making of to the distribution is ridiculous. That literally, soup to nuts, that is like the Ma Bell of yeah, uh, filmmaking. It's you know insane. what I mean? Uh, the big five, by the way, are at this time 20th Century Fox, mm-hmm. Paramount Pictures, Warner Brothers. RKO, that's a yeah. name out of the past, and Metro Goldwyn Mayer in MGM, MGM, of course. Yeah. Yes. They all vied for the top spot, you know, mm-hmm. these five. There's other distribution companies and, and filmmakers. They competed for actors on, and actresses, producers, and, yeah, directors, yeah. all of it. Yeah. All of it. Literally. Probably animation studios and like, yeah, yeah. like, all, like once all that came in, yeah. Uh, by the way, Snow White, even though it was a Disney production, uh, RKO actually had their hooks in it. They're right. the ones that distributed it. RKO okay. got that. But uh, meanwhile, MGM, Metro Goldwyn Mayer, 
which was headed up by the eccentric Louis B. Mayer. You might have heard of him if you're mm-hmm. a film buff, and he was just a wacky character. Uh, he was a fan of the whole Wizard of Oz story, right? The book. He's familiar with it. He wanted in on the action because he saw what happened with Snow White. Yeah. MGM, we need to have our own version of this. Right. We need to get that type of hit. That type of movie. It wasn't that, that it was it was animated, just no, that, no, no, like no. A, a fantasy story for for kids. For kids, right. So he bought the rights to The Wizard of Oz, which were incidentally owned by Samuel Goldwyn, who was unrelated to Metro Goldwyn Mayer. He's mm-hmm. his independent Samuel Goldwyn Productions. You might yeah. have heard of if you're an old time movie fan. He bought the rights to the story in January of 1938. Okay, so we're getting close here. That's uh, a pretty quick turnaround, actually. Mm, yeah, Devel- I, from develop from buying it to development to that, making the movie. Back then it wasn't, but yeah, yeah I know what you mean. Now it's like yeah. nothing. You know, movies take four years in development. Yeah, crying out loud. Uh, so MGM's uh, one of their producers, Mervyn Leroy, was assigned as the producer. Arthur Freed as the assistant producer. And the first director assigned, notice I said first, uh, was Norman Torog. He was very quickly replaced by Richard Thorpe. He did not direct anything. He Didn't did not do anything. Made no frames of film. So Richard Thorpe was known as a master of economy when it came to filmmaking for MGM. He would get films done ahead of time, ahead of budget. Let's think about what this movie is. Why was that important? Because this is a special effect showcase. Yes. Just from like concept. It's a fantasy. There, there are things that you have to do to tell the story in this that require probably very expensive things for that time to, to Oh, to yeah. Do. And we will run those down yeah. a little bit, but absolutely. And, and so what's the best? Hire an economy director, yep. director known for economizing. So the thinking is very clear. And I won't try to manage things because I can't think. So we got our producer. We got our director. We got to get ourselves a cast here. So from the book, Dorothy Gale, the farm girl, right? Yeah. Who, by the way, she is never given an age in the book, but it usually the portrayal ranges from like, you know, 8 to 12 she's supposed to be really? in the book. Yeah. Because in this scenario, yeah, I know Dorothy in the movie is supposed to be younger, but I always, as a kid, I was like, what is she, like 17 or yeah. something? Yeah. Like, I was like... You're, you're pretty close, actually. Yeah, I was like, yeah. I was like <laughs> she seems like on the verge of adulthood, like she's in yeah. later high school or pretty something. Much. Like, in, in real life, yes. Yeah. So, although you might have heard this, it was envisioned as a vehicle for one particular person. There was consideration for a very big child actress at the time, Shirley Temple. What is all this dizzy, busy hustling for? People running helter-skelter on their way. And this would have been huge. Shirley yeah. Temple, they used to have a ranking every year back in those days for the high, the, the, the theaters themselves would rank it. Which actor or actress brings in the most money? And this was a very important thing, and it's why, like, for example, they, they told, said Joan Crawford was poisoned sure, because she yeah. was lo- getting lower and lower on this list, but she was getting paid higher and higher. Same with Greta Garbo and then all those actresses, right? But guess who was number one, like, many years or in a row in the 30s? Shirley. Shirley Temple, number one for, like, years She was in a, a huge row. deal. Her movies were very profitable for the for the oh, people God, yeah. running the movie theaters. And her drink is pretty good, too. Yeah. My son likes <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, she was under contract with 20th Century Fox, but at the time, if a studio needed an actor on loan, they would get him on loan. Exactly right. It's like tr- a trade in baseball. Pretty it, much. It's like a baseball team. It, it really is. There's a lot of tape here. Yeah, yeah. A lot of red tape in this. But you're right. It's like a baseball team. GM's talking to each other and stuff. Winfield and dinner. What uh, if you get <laughs> traded to a different theater in the middle of filming something? They like take you off the, <laughs> off the set. Like you run off. Just like, close the curtain and shit. <laughs> like, yeah. Come back on. There's a new actress playing yeah. your role. Well, 
there's varying degrees of detail on this, but one theory is that Arthur Freed went to hear Shirley Temple sing and was unimpressed. Whether or not it's true that they were unimpressed by her singing, the bottom line is 20th Century Fox did not want to loan her out to MGM. I don't blame them. She's so profitable. Exactly. (laughs) So we will go back to the actress that they originally had envisioned for the part. A girl that was born as Frances Ethel Gum in 1922, 16 years old at this time. Part of the Gum sisters in the 20s. Some Gum in the 20s and 30s. That's all I was thinking. (laughs) A, some would say, equally talented singer dancer, and actress who was already appearing with Mickey Rooney and his Andy Hardy movies and stuff. We are, of course, talking about Judy Garland. Judy Garland. Judy Garland. Who, this movie would make her a huge, huge yep. star. It really did, didn't it? Yeah, this, I, mean, I mean, this is her vehicle. This, this is, is what, I mean, the stuff she was in before was just like, kids movies and she was like a side character and yeah all that. like she one of the things about judy garland we can go we can talk forever about her i think she's a phenomenal singer i love her voice yeah um, so did my dad fantastic actress and fantastic dancer she like quinn said was in like you know kid teen movies mickey and rooney stuff, stuff yeah, mickey and rooney stuff love interest or whatever like right. just nothing important but i want to take a listen to some of her uh, her singing here real quick this is from a 1938 film called everybody sing an mgm picture this is the type of stuff she was doing around this time just a contract player for yep. mgm but uniquely talented. Take a quick listen, folks. Teach me how to sing. Listen to that voice. Yeah. She's only 15 here. I'm just thinking the Mr. studio's like dollar signs in their eyes. Right? Yeah, really. Is a thing oh, that voice is just so yeah. beyond her years. She was just an incredible talent. I really want to give her credit here. She was such an incredible talent. I think it's important at this point to also point something out. Judy Garland is not, you know, like I said, there was actresses in her time bigger and and like huge. This is old Hollywood we're talking about. We're in the age of, like I said before, Garbo, Crawford, the list goes on and on, right? Like Rita Hayward, all this, right? But what is the thing Judy Garland has that is such a big deal? The singing. Yes. Why is that a big deal? Because we are in the age of musicals. Yeah. We are, we are in the, 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 that's why she's so valuable, right? The singing. And people forget that, that, that this was a very, very popular um, genre. Oh, musicals at the, in the thirties, absolutely, they like were. one of the top genres. Like this, it's not like now where like people are musicals suck, and you only get a musical <laughs> once every like ten years well, or whatever. They did that Cats reboot, yeah, that one time, yeah. <laughs> But people really don't like them. They're not very popular nowadays. They're not. They're not um, they haven't been in a long but time. But there was a point when they were like the top genre. They just were. Absolutely, because they were, you know, we were adapting from the stage and kind of taking the sensibilities right. of the stage to the screen. And so in those days, Judy Garland's coming up. She's a young, she's very young. She's just from a yeah. kid and her voice. Oh my God. I mean, they had to have known, okay, we got something here, right? They knew. So she is Dorothy Gale. And uh, the next uh, important character in The Wizard of Oz is the part of the Scarecrow, mm-hmm. who obviously joins Dorothy first on her journey in the movie, right? And accompanies her the entire time. Also, uh, the same actor would play a farmhand by the name of Hunk in yes. the Kansas scenes in the beginning. Yes. And the Scarecrow part is the heart of the movie, right? He's the, yes. You're the most attached to the Scarecrow because he's the first person you find, and right? And she says she'll miss him most of all. Right, at the exactly. End, right? I think I'll miss you most of all. So originally here... Buddy Epson, uh, who was 30 years old, an actor and a dancer, not much of a singer, he was cast to play the Scarecrow, and he was under contract with MGM, one of their players, mm-hmm. right? He had actually done a movie with Shirley Temple in the 30s. 
he, of course, Buddy Epson will go on to play uh, Jed Clampett on Beverly yes. Hillbillies. And also Barnaby Jones. You know, remember that mm-hmm. show? I didn't watch it, Not but really. I know of it. This is Buddy Epson inviting you to join us for a very special episode of Barnaby Jones with Jim Mueller. So he was going to be cast as a scarecrow. And then the Tin Man, the next guy we meet, you know, the guy made of tin, right? Because yes. he has no heart. The part of Tin Man was also a dual part with the part of Hickory, the other farmhand. Yeah, farmhand. I feel like we should mention that. It's like when you're signing up to be the Scarecrow, Tin Man, or Lion, you also have to play the farmhands on, yeah. the, on the farm at the beginning of the movie. The dopey idiots in yeah. the beginning of the movie, right? Take it easy. Oh, you got my finger. Why don't you get your finger out of the way? Hey, you are. Right on my finger. The lucky thing it wasn't your head. For this part... An eccentric former vaudevillian dancer, uh, an actor, and a singer, 34-year-old Ray Bolger was tapped. Now, Ray Bolger, however, who's a phenomenal dancer in his time, seriously, look him up, folks, he had idolized Fred Stone from the 1902 Wizard of Oz, but Fred Stone was not the Tin Man, Quinn. Fred Stone was the Scarecrow. Uh Uh-huh. And Ray Bolger's style of dancing, he was convinced he he should be the Scarecrow. So he appealed to Mervyn Leroy. He said, I know I'm supposed to be the Tin Man, but I want to be the Scarecrow. Why are you going to lock those legs that can move like that in, in iron or tin or whatever? Tin. Yeah. Yeah. And guess what? Mervyn Leroy checked with Buddy Epson, mm-hmm. want to switch parts, and Buddy Epson's like, yeah, okay. Sure. Right. So, so Buddy Epson will take on the Tin Man, and Ray Bolger would be the Scarecrow. Oh, George! Now, as a a fan of the Tin Man, personally... Oh, you are, I always felt like the Tin Man was kind of second in command in the the, the squad. Because, first of all, he has, like, an axe and stuff. He can take care of business. Plus, if you, like, shoot him or you can't can't catch on fire or anything weird... That's a good point. Like, he's, like, indestructible. Like, I was kind of like, he's, like, a good weapon against the witch. Crying is, like, he doesn't cry a lot, but when he does, he's screwed. That's his Achilles. Yeah, yeah. Mythological hero Achilles. I want to mention, uh, in the books, he was later given a name, an actual name. What? Nick Chopper. Get out of here. That's stupid. (laughs) Yeah. Nick Chopper, I swear. So anyway, I was like that the Tin Man has like accessories, unlike the other ones. He's got a funnel hat. He's got like an axe, and you have to bring that like um, the oil the, can. the oil can like with him. He's like an action figure. Yeah, <laughs> like it, like it's weird, right? Like he's like the only one of the three. It's like oh, he has like you have to like keep him running. Like you can't. You have to like actually like you got to bring his like axe, and you got to bring his like all this. Like Dorothy has to like put it in her bag or whatever. Well, to be fair, yeah. Scarecrow straw if it falls out, you have to put it back. Yeah, in but that's too. like. In him, that's yeah, like his, it's different, right? Yeah, it's, it's different. So we got two of the three that joined Dorothy. Well, we need ourselves a cowardly lion. And for this, there were two initial ideas. Obviously, neither of these happened. But <laughs> one was, why don't we comp an animated lion into huh. the film? And the practical reason they didn't do that is because they wanted the lion to be part of the quartet. Right. And interact, and it would have been a lot harder to have a fake. I mean, on top of all this, you want to add animation that's mixed into the live action, right. which you're already pushing it with these special effects. Imagine like, They're a little I'm, too big with their britches here. But yeah. I mean, I, we're just talking about from a budget perspective. Like, now, okay, now we got to hire animators, yeah. and like somebody's also got to like put the animation into the frame. And like, it's kind of a mess, right? Sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, and then somebody's got to dub it. Dub the voice. Yeah, right? it's like, it's, it's crazy. You could say that again. 
So then their next idea was, okay, well, forget the anime of the lion. Why don't we take, you know how we're MGM and we have uh, Leo the lion? This is insane. Who thought this was a good idea? They're like, why don't we have him be in the movie? Why don't we have an actual lion on the set? That, you know, it's a wild animal. I know it's trained. Yeah, he is, he is. At the end of the day, it's still a wild animal. Accidents can happen. It can get hungry. It doesn't know what's going on. It's, it's, you know, like it's an actual lion. It gets too hungry. It might bite Dorothy's arm off or something, right? You can't have that. Yeah. And what if it shows up late for work? Yeah. (laughs) What the fuck? Are you going to fire the lion? Yeah. Now you got to get another lion. Yeah. What what an attitude, the lion. Because the lion doesn't have an attitude. He's the king of the jungle. Right. In his mind. It's like, what are these people here? Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? What are these like, people near me? Uh, so, so obviously that didn't... What is this food next to me that's talking? You know? <laughs> more more with uh, Michael Quinn's Lion Thoughts next yeah. week on Ask Wash Memories. But uh, we're going to use a regular actor, but we're going to put him in a costume. Sounds reasonable enough to me for 1938. Yep. Enter Bert Lahr, a 42-year-old vaudevillian i love this guy yeah me I, too. I, I i he's he's might be the most lovable person in the cast he's and, tremendous and he's got some of the <laughs> he's got all the funny lines yeah he's just he's goofy and he's scary sometimes he's scary uh he was a former burlesque performer interesting and a comedian and you know a song and dance man because he kind of had to be in the 30s but here's burt lars comedy is very unique i want to say it's similar a little tiny bit to curly howard okay from the stooges so this is Bert Lahr. I'm going to play this for you guys because even listening to it enough is going to be funny. This is from a movie called Flying High, well before The Wizard of Oz. It is wacky and eccentric, and you got to remember, this is the 30s when this wasn't common, you know, mm-hmm. in talking pictures. So take a listen. 3,000 bucks? Huh. We're rich, we're rich, we're rich! eyes are crossed. Yeah. <laughs> You're injured, brought a fluck. You're injured, brought a fluck. It's the lion. Yeah. I mean, this is just the lion doing something else. Yep. (laughs) You brought a slug. You brought a slug. (laughs) It's a lion. (laughs) Take him away. Take him away. (laughs) So you can see why. (laughs) <laughs> he's got a bit of crazy to him, he's right? Got a bit like of, that's, yeah. that's his style. He's where he's very unique. Just totally outlandish. And Love he's it. kind of perfect for this role because the lion's kind of a two-faced. Like a, he'll he'll try to front like he's tough, yep. and then he'll cower like a big little baby, you know? Because he has no courage. Yeah, because he has no courage, and, and and that style we just saw there, where he was talking normal at the beginning, and then he gets all yeah, like that's it's perfect. It's that, like the casting's perfect. That's exactly what the lion is. That part could have wound up drastically different in, with a different actor playing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? That is such a unique performance. That and I would say heard. the other thing about casting the lion is I think it's a competition between the lion and the scarecrow of who's the most physical actor, meaning, you know, jumping around yeah. and doing stuff. Because the scarecrow's got the crazy dances and stuff. But the lion, I mean, there's scenes where he's like jumping on rocks and stuff <laughs> yeah. at the beginning. And like, the, and, then, him, yeah. and then the infamous like jumping out the window, which is like the scariest <laughs> thing in the whole movie. Without question, because like, where did that window come from? I didn't even like see that over there. I like that. And that's it, the question. Where the window? Because well, the from? camera just like turns, and you're like, "What is all of that?" And yeah, like, why did the camera look this what, way. What is that? Oh, and it's all dark, and he just like jumps into it. Like, it's very strange. And it's it's not Burlar, by the yeah. way. It's a stuntman, so it looks extra weird. Yeah, like the guy's face looks just, weird and like, shit. And he does like a dive, like like he's going into a lake. Like you know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's so weird. It, it's still like. I would like think about that sometimes. Like it was scary. You've brought it up in recent weeks. Yeah. Like before we knew we were doing this. Yes. It's just very, it's such a weird scene. 
Well, speaking of scary, we needed the uh, the Wicked Witch of the West, the main Talk villain. About scary. Yeah. The Wicked Witch of the West, uh, we all know how it turned out, right? Mm-hmm. The green. Per- like, perfect. Perfect, right? Yeah. However, originally, we were going to have an actress named Gail Sondegard play the witch. Mm-hmm. Now, Gail Sondegard was a glamorous actress who played glamorous roles, and initially, she was fine with being the witch because they had her very much like uh, Snow White. Yeah, so... Snow White's, you know, so the villain. This is going to be a trend as we're looking at the previous witches, but it seems like they had an issue with the fact that, hey, she's supposed to be ugly. She's the wicked witch. She's right. not Glinda. Like, right. Glinda's supposed to be the pretty one, right? Correct. So, but a lot of these actresses, you have to remember, I mean, your image and all this stuff, and this was a this was an, it was a different industry, right? It, it, was, it wasn't the kind of industry that respected, like, you know, we're going to get ugly looking. Yeah, no, and like, no, no. Like, nowadays, like, that's like a, oh, that's like an Oscar-winning performance. Right. Back then, that was like, I'm not going to ruin my career and yep. look like crap. Like, Isn't that crazy how it's changed? Yeah, it's totally different. It's totally because different. Because especially when you're on a contract situation, right? Yep. And you, in, in one of your movies on the contract situation, you're messing up, you know, you're you're not messing up your looks. You're not permanently messed up, yeah. but you're going to- You're ruining all your image. Me- you're ruining your image. And then what if you want to, you know, once that contract's up, go to another studio yep. and they see, oh, everyone thinks you're like this ugly witch. I'm not going to- I'm not going to- sign you such a different yeah. time so a lot of actresses seem to have a problem with this yep and even it seems like even at the beginning they were trying to accommodate it right yes they were going to do a glamorous thing and then they said you know what we're going to make the witch uh, more of an ugly character so they changed the makeup and they made her look as frumpy as possible and but the face is still not yeah you ugly can, you can still see her face and gail sonnegard said you know what i'm not going to do this yeah so she walked away from the role okay so enter Margaret Hamilton, who was 35 years old, had five years of experience uh, acting at that point. That's all, just five. You're a newspaper man from New York. How'd you guess that, sister? You was described to me. Will Bull can shoot his mouth off to you all he wants, but not me, nor anybody else in this town. This drugstore is run by the Paragon Watch Company. She's also a kindergarten teacher, because she wasn't like a big star. She was a character. She had like a side job. Yeah, really. And they cast her, and we'll talk more about the witch later. He said, uh, they're sort of interested in you. Uh, for a part in The Wizard of Oz, and I said, oh, gosh, think of that. I said, I loved that story from the time I was four years old. What is it? And he said, well, the witch. And I said, (laughs) the witch? (laughs) And he said, then he said the final thing. He said, yes, what else? Got more parts. Obviously, the movie is called The Wizard of Oz. Uh, yeah. What would we be without a wizard, right? I mean, he's in the name. <laughs> he's in, it's in the name of the thing. Uh, so, W.C. Fields was originally considered, hmm. as was Ed Wynn. And they uh, both turned it down. Now, at the time when they turned it down, it was just one part, The Wizard. Eventually, the actor that plays The Wizard would play Professor Marvel in the beginning. Yes. No, 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 now, don't tell me. <laughs> Let's see, you're, uh, you're traveling in disguise. No, that's not right. I'm, uh... A guard at the Emerald City door. Who rang that bell? The cabbie of the horse of a different color. Cabbie! Cabbie! Just what you're looking for! Take any place in the city we does! Then the guard of the witch, the wizard's door, with yeah. the big stupid green hat yeah. and the dumb mustache. So you can all go home and there's nothing to worry about. Get out of here now. Go on. Go on home and uh, I go home. And then finally, the wizard himself. Child, you cut me to the quick. I'm an old Kansas man myself. 
a five-roll part was given to MGM contract player Frank Morgan, who yep. was like in his late 40s, I think 48. And then our good witch of the North, Glinda, she was played by 55-year-old Billy Burke. She'd begun acting, get this, in 1903. Huh. <laughs> been like around. the dawn of film. Yeah. Well, anybody that's an older actor who's been doing it for a career, they've been around since the beginning at this point. Remember, this is yeah. only... It's only what, like a thirty-year-old industry? Yeah, get it, you know? if that. Yeah, if we want to be generous, yeah. Yeah, we're still in the era of like the original people, like the set, like the, <laughs> Gen One, like Dorothy, Judy Garland. She's like a Gen Two. Yeah, like you know, she's only Generation yeah, Two. Like you know what point. I mean? Like so, it's like the anybody older, probably all these older, you know, these other other actors, like the farmhands. They've been probably been around. They've been around. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, so Billy Burke had. Uh, reputation for very unique and odd characterizations and thus she makes a perfect glinda in this movie oh good heaven you see freddie hope my extra man he's got pneumonia well of all the thoughtless selfish on the day of my dinner too now what am i going to do and then we have in Kansas, Auntie M, who was played by Clara Blandick, a veteran actress, and Uncle Henry, who had to be, I think, came out of retirement for this. He was 67. Charlie Grapewin, who is not only a former vaudevillian, but also a circus performer. Huh. Like, That's kind of perfect for this, actually. <laughs> for Yeah, it yeah. is, actually. Right. You know the winged monkeys, right? Well, yeah. their main one, the one that's like always with the witch, like yeah, yeah, always the main monkey. Who, uh, by the way, for years I thought these were just real monkeys. No, <laughs> like, like I like because they, they, the the makeup really is good. really really good. I really was like, good. wait a second, is that just like a real monkey that they put a coat on and like <laughs> painted him or something? No. Like they're uh, all little people. The, the actors crazy. <laughs> and Pat Walsh was uh, an MGM contract little person, and he is a. Uh, the character's name is Nico, but it's never said in the movie. It's just in the yeah. screenplay. I don't know. Can I just say that this movie must have been a boon for the, the midget actors? There are so many. There are 124 little people playing the Munchkins of Munchkinland, uh, and many of them were from a, a vaudeville troupe by Leo Singer. It's very interesting, too, that we're still in the age of, and like especially for a movie like this, that vaudeville actors are dominating this cast. There's a lot of vaudevillians in yeah. here. Yeah, a lot like, of them. And if you don't know what vaudeville was, it was like this different, it was this style of like acting, like it's almost like the boardwalk or something like yeah. that. Yeah, it's like this, it's not on Broadway. It's like, they're oh, just no, like- Oh no, it's a professional wrestling of theater. Yeah, it's, it's basically, yeah, I think that's like the best equivalent. It's like the professional wrestling of, of theater. Yeah. It was like low, low, low end, low, low brow, class, and yeah. they do all sorts of weird, the kind of stuff you see in like the circus or whatever. Yeah, like it's like, really weird. A lot of like pies in the face type humor yeah. and like dumb shit like that. And they, they'd be traveling and, Mm -hmm. And like, so, but when Hollywood came along, here's now an industry that is, you can't get all the theater people, right? Because theater's prestigious. Yeah, like, it's still what, a thing. doing a movie might be like a downgrade for some of those theater actors, Absolutely. right? Especially in the early days. So, pulling from vaudeville was a huge common practice still in the 30s, right? 100%. This movie is evidence of it. I mean, between some of the actors, the principals, and yeah. the, the 124 little people, like I said, a lot of them were from this vaudeville troupe. Some were were brought in from other countries, mm -hmm. um, mainly places in Europe, and there were even like a handful of kids that they used just to fill in space, like eight kids or something in Munchkinland. Uh, but yeah. it's it's mainly little people uh, from a vaudeville troupe. As coroner, I'm a mother. I thoroughly examined her, and she's not only merely dead, she's really most sincerely dead. To handle the music, a composer by the name of Harold Arlen and his lyricist partner, E.Y. Yip Harburg. Yip. 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 
They they wrote yep yep some yep. gum. <laughs> they wrote every song fresh for this movie, which was a practice back. I mean, then. that's like all these movies. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, and and here's the entire soundtrack. We're gonna yep. write it. We'll just get we'll get an actual person to write all the music. And a lot of people to this day can probably sing along to so many of these songs, right? Yep. And very classic songs. And you know what I think is interesting about the the structure of this movie with its music mm-hmm. is that the music is integrated so well with the acting mm-hmm. that sometimes you forget that the music's even in it. You know? Yeah. You ever notice that? Especially the incidental. Yeah. But you mean even the musical numbers? Some of the numbers, I mean, they just feel like they're telling the plot story. So it's kind of like you're just kind of, they kind of seamlessly like go which, in with, with the movie, which is kind of like rare. Which I like instead yeah. of like spontaneous busting in the song. You know, yeah, like nowhere. Dorothy singing over the rainbow, it just kind of makes sense in the context of the scene. Like she's kind of daydreaming and just being like, man, so I, wish, upset. I wish I could like get out of here. Right? It's <laughs> like, here. yeah, this place is a depression era Kansas. Yeah, it's depression era <laughs> Kansas and like just kind of had like a crappy day or whatever. And she's Yeah, because of Miss Gulch. Like it's just perfect. It's really well done. All their songs are really good in this movie. They did a great job. Uh, so we got to remember a couple of things about this movie. Technicolor is a primitive form still. And because of that, it requires a lot of lights. And we're talking insanely bright lighting uh, that require extensive testing every day. Sometimes the temperatures on set would reach 100 degrees. It's a, it's a crazy thing to think of now, but it was not comfortable. This wasn't yeah. like the... It's not like now where actors are very well taken care of and they yeah. go back to their trailer or whatever. And this was a... And you guys, some of you might know this, and there's tons of YouTube videos dedicated specifically to how shitty this movie was to make if you were an actor, yeah. which is why I don't want to talk too much about that. But it, it was hell, most of them said. It was yeah. sucked making oh, this movie. Absolutely. You know, definitely it, sucked. It fucking sucked. And there was also a lot, I'm going to preface this now, disclaim this now, there is a lot that could be said about the way Judy Garland was treated, uh, not only in this movie, but by Hollywood in general, as far as her body image and, and her face and a lot of things. And, and this was this was a like par for the course yeah, in Hollywood back then. Sucks. Yeah, it was terrible. And I'm well aware of it. We're both well aware of it, mm-hmm. but we're not here to tell that story. We're here to tell the story of how the movie was made. So right. we just want to be clear. We, we're aware of what happened to Judy Garland. Uh, there's a lot of things, but... There's a lot of scandal in old Hollywood in general. There really a is. Of, a lot of shitty shit. Yeah. But we want to talk about more positive stuff and the technical end here. So, yeah, the lighting. But what these lighting, what these lights were lighting were these real elaborate sets that really make this picture stand out, such as, you know, the Kansas Farm, Munchkin Land, mm-hmm. the Yellow Brick Road set, the Forest, Emerald City, the Witch's Castle. Can I give props too to some of the backgrounds in this? Like there's Is that a pun. <laughs> oh, yeah. props in the yeah. Backgrounds. I see what you did there. Thank but you. No, for real. Some of the backgrounds that like I remember as a kid not realizing they were painted unless yes. I went really close to the screen. They're like insane. There are a lot of matte paintings used, but so fucking seamlessly that they're you... very like blended into the set, like yeah. to the point where like like yeah, like the famous one with Emerald, Emerald City, City in the background, like the flowers that are, that are real, like kind of go right up, up to, to the, the painted like ones. in the perspectives, like perfect. They nailed so it, it. They nailed it. Yeah. So it's like. Even though it's a fake background, I remember like once going because I, I I was like, why does it look different? I remember <laughs> as a kid, like as a child, like going really close to the TV, and I'm like, oh, it's like a painting, it's a painting. like, and I didn't, I couldn't figure that out for the longest time as a kid because it was cool, huh? so well done. 
Yep, they use it for the end of the Yellow Brick Road, or the when Dorothy's yeah. on the Yellow Brick Road. They have one for Kansas, even. Yeah. Which, which is crazy to me. A lot of Kansas, uh, when Dorothy's like running down the road in the beginning of the movie, the dirt road is built on the soundstage, but... She's running into a painting. She's running into a painting. That's, that's right, folks. Kansas is not a location shoot. That is yeah. all a soundstage. Yeah. And they filled in the a lot of the background. Yeah, as an adult, I always realized that yeah. Kansas... Kansas specifically actually looks more of a soundstage to me because if it's supposed to be real life, but it looks too clean. <laughs> like, for, like, a dirty place. Like, yeah. it looks... Like, it just looks too clean. I don't know how to explain it. Well, like, our apologies know, to anyone out there yeah. in Kansas. Yeah. Hope it gets better out there for mm-hmm. you. <laughs> Tornado Alley. Anyway, no, you're right. These matte paintings at the end, there's more. The Witch's Castle, they use a bunch of them. The combination of the the really detailed sets, right, the live action yeah. sets, and these paintings, they make this movie feel huge. Yes. And the environment, huge. When in reality, it probably isn't that big of a set. It's not. Yeah. A lot of these are just little areas for the actors to do their business. Yeah. And uh, painting around it. It's, it. it's crazy how good it looks. But it's just a good use of perspective. Oh, my God. And, I mean, it's very professionally done. Yes. Like, very well done. Very well done. At the height of, like, this kind of thing. And I can't imagine how long it took because now you're talking in like measurements and stuff right because they're like okay only you can't make everything too big because we have to fade the perspective and like it must have been like a a very skilled job to understand how to make oh, the ma- backgrounds and then also make the sets that like faded into them 100 percent right? had to be right because yeah. you're not just talking about art at that point you're talking about like perspective and like measurements and angles yeah, and stuff there's right? a lot to this yeah. that i don't quite understand honestly right. how they made it look so good but they did the honorary degree of phd <laughs> phd yeah that's doctor of thinkology Another thing that really looked great was the costumes. I think a lot of people recognize the costumes upon sight. Even a silhouette of the four characters, you know, you could probably recognize them. The Scarecrow's costume was really cool because they did put like a, I forget what it was on his face, you know, like a mask basically to make him look like he was a it's real like, Scarecrow. It's, it's like a sandbag or yeah, something. Yeah, it's a like bag. A, it's like a bag it's like of a some burlap. kind. Burlap, burlap is what it sorry, is. Sorry, burlap bag yes. of, of some kind, but like with the holes cut out, but then even they, they like painted around his eyes yeah. so it like fades into the the bag so he looks like a, like an actual Scarecrow. He looks like a Scarecrow. That's blinking and his mouth's moving, right? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And again, 1938, folks. Mm-hmm. 1938. All and just the, think about all, all the of things this. we're mixing here. We just talked about backgrounds and sets, and now the costumes on top of it. I mean, it's all making it this seamless, like, it just looks like a world, like an actual place. A, a real fantasy land. Right. The Tin Man costume was a uh, leather and buckram, which is a fabric. And for the facial makeup, aluminum powder. Also, uh, ironically, I just want to point this out here because I don't know when else to. Tin doesn't rust. So oh, it there's a little bit of an oversight. I never book. even looked into it. Yeah. But can is there a question? I've heard rumors <laughs> yes. that that makeup was like toxic or some crap. Like, oh, is we'll that, find out. Yeah, we will okay. find out about that. And right in the middle of a chop, I I rusted solid. I've been that way ever since. So for the lion, they wanted to make this look as real as possible because you can tell when it's a felt or fabric suit. 
So what they did is they used two actual real lion skins for Burt Lar. Really? That they turned into a costume. It weighed about 60 pounds. That feels like it would be illegal nowadays, like, to do that. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah, maybe. Like, you can't just skin a lion and, like, wear it. <laughs> it's tough to skin a lion, I yeah. guess, anyway, to begin with, right? Maybe yeah. it was already something wrong with it. I don't know. Maybe it was from No, Leo. it's probably dead if they're skin taking the skin off. I would think it was it. dead yeah. when they're taking it off of yeah. it, yes, but... Uh, Burt Lar had to carry around this fucking sixty-pound costume. God, you know, how hot was that thing? Well, with the hundred-degree lighting, they took the skin off with it, so he's wearing the skin too. It's crazy, you know? isn't it? It's crazy. Um, the Wicked Witch, the green makeup—that was um, copper-based makeup, which proved to be a problem later, which we'll talk about. Uh-oh. But we still got more things here before we get to shooting. What about all the special effects? Mm-hmm. So a lot of people always want to know about the tornado, right? Like, how did they how did they do the tornado? I don't know! The tornado is the equivalent of a 35-foot-long stocking made out of really? muslin. Yes. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's, it's muslin material. It's 35. At the top of the stage is a gantry that they built, and they are holding it from the bottom and the top and moving it and twisting it. So wait, it's really is it really big? It's or? 35 feet, yes. Holy shit. The whole stage basically. Okay, you want to know just like as a, what I thought this was all along and I'm not making it a up. A miniature? No. I thought they this is going to sound really elaborate. I can't believe my kid brain even thought of this. I thought mm-hmm. they filmed um like a drain. <laughs> Like like water, you know how the water is. Oh, I know how the water goes. Yes. So I thought they did that, <laughs> and then they superimposed the the that film on top of this film. That's funny. And like moved it around or something. Like, no. This is the achievement of Buddy Glepsy, the uh, the special effects guy. It looked legit. To this day, it is still regarded as one of the best cinema tornadoes ever. Yeah, it looks it looks real. Better get undercover, Sylvester. There's a storm blowing up a whopper. And they had compressed air hoses, and they were blowing... So um, spin around and look like a tornado. And yeah, blowing fake dirt around at... Yeah. Fa- what is it called? Founders Earth or something? There's like this material... Was that- it pinned down at the bottom? Yeah. So I guess like it wouldn't like... You know what I'm saying? Roll like, up? Well, yes. yeah, because yes. like if you'd, you'd have to pin down one side of it yeah. and then put air through the other, right? Yeah, no, and they pulled it and stuff like that. This tornado was recycled in uh, at least two MGM movies, Cabin in the Sky and then another one. And it is just... An achievement for 1938. Looks and good. Still looks good. Yeah. Uh, but practical also practical effects. Practical effect. All of it. You know how Dorothy, when she's in the tornado, she sees things through the window. You know they use the rear screen projection for that. Yeah. I mean that's that, they were already doing that. Yeah. I, I mean that's a classic. The house thing. falling through the sky is. Yeah. A, I mean they used to see that rear screen projection crap in like Seinfeld in the 90s. Well, yeah, so I know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> You're right. They did. Yeah, old effect. It is an old effect. The house falling is like a model that they twirled on a stick and shot in reverse. Okay. You know, the house falls. I knew, I, you know, you know what's funny about the house falling thing. This is gonna sound really weird. I would always look at that as a kid, and I'm like, it's falling weird. Is this backwards? Yes. Like, and that's exactly what it is. Yep. They had it on the lens, and then they pulled it up and twirled right. it. You yeah. know. But all these things. The um, there's a fire. There's fire during the witch's entrance and exit. The witch's crystal ball, which also uses rear screen. I think it is. There's no way that's legit fire, right? Like when the witch comes out. Oh, that's fire. Because I was, I, yeah, that part. I'm like, damn. Like oh, that, that's fire. That does not look fake. No, that's real fire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Wizard of Oz head thing. You know, the green head. That's, that's just a projection. Projection. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, how about when the lion dove through the window? That's a, <laughs> he just wanted to bring it up again. That's just candy glass or whatever he dove through. But yeah. as Quinn said, it looks like he's diving into a lake. <laughs> it's just so not like the rest of the movie. It's scary. Yeah, it is scary. It's very everything bizarre. around there. Like when they have guns and like like <laughs> other shit. Like everything's weird for a brief time. It's like once they leave the wizard, like the initial like jumping out the window. Yeah, and then like all the like build up to them just. Just about when they get at the witch's door or whatever, like that entire time of the movie is strange. Yes, like there's about 15 very unsettling minutes yeah, of that we're movie. Yeah, just like what is all of this? Like this is not like the rest of the thing. I know. Like uh, the witch writing in the sky, surrender Dorothy. That was done with like a, a hypodermic needle writing into a tank with black ink or something. Wait, they didn't just get a no like an airplane guy to like do that. No, they just filmed the tank and they wrote. With a needle. That's weird to me because I would think it would Practical, be. Tr- I, yeah, but I'm, I'm like, this is a Hollywood studio. They don't have like a pilot. They could be like, just, you know, like. <laughs> just, just MGM pilot under contract, too? Well, I mean, like, there was plenty of movies where there was flying. Like, they used real airplanes. Yeah, but how you do it in for black stock ink? footage? How you do it in black ink, Quinn? Hmm, I guess. You know what I mean? Flip the negative. I just always thought that was or? like a, that was a common, like, air show trick. Like, you know, I'm sorry. Sorry to disappoint you. Uh, And then one of the great scenes is, again, we're mentioning elements from the plot because you guys know the plot. But if you've never seen the movie, stop right now. You know what we're talking (laughs) about. You know. When the farmhouse lands in Oz and we see the inside and Dorothy goes to the door. Yes. And everything is still in black and white. But when Dorothy opens the door, you see out the door color. But but she's still, yeah. Right, and so do you I have any to, guesses? No, I so have. I have a I have a question. First of all, yes, am I wrong, or did they like do something to this scene in later versions of the movies to make this transition more seamless, or is this from the actual like original print? It's from the original print because I always thought that there was some kind of like redo of this okay. years later, and that's why I, that's literally like why I thought it looked. So I was like, that's not like they, they wouldn't have been able to do that back then without digital. Here's how they did it. It's the the easiest, brilliant thing you could think so of. So this was in the original movie. It wasn't like this where the house, some of the house is black and white. And, this was know. in the original movie. Okay. The inside of the house was painted in <laughs> sepia color. Even Dorothy's dress and... Dorothy, Dorothy's stand-in is who you see in sepia. Yeah. She's wearing a sepia-colored dress and basket. <laughs> so when she opens the door... You see her for a second. She backs out of the frame, and then Judy Garland in the regular blue dress comes into the frame and walks into Oz. That's how they did it. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. That easy, huh? That easy. I always thought it was like some fancy trick, like hand tinting, like the inside or the tinting outside, or, or like I even. I, I'm telling you, I, I even thought like, oh, I'm watching this movie like 80 years later. They must have like. Nope. Touched touch this up with digital and just made it perfect. Nope. That's all they had to do. Interesting. Pretty friggin' brilliant. And of course, the horse of a different color. You know, that's another cool effect. That's uh, yeah. th- three different horses. They were colored with gelatin, which oh, is ironic. Really? Isn't that made from horses? But anyway, they were colored with like different flavor gelatin, grape and orange and, and strawberry Did or something. Did that like cherry. stain their fur or something? No, I don't like, think so. Is- that's like an actual, thankfully, a humane thing for 1938 yeah. to do to an I animal, mean, okay, you know? Yeah, we tend to forget where it, this movie was made in a time where... um humanity to animals in a movie was not common no they, they nobody really thought about it like it, it's no. not like they were just trying to be big jerks they just didn't like it was just not something that occurred to the people i guess we should also mention i'm so sorry i forgot the casting of toto the doggy yeah that's a uh, terry a scottish terrier 
There oh, you go. Yeah. The working dog. Actual dog actor. The real. Was Toto in anything else? Yeah, like after this. Oh, uh, this I was th- his big vehicle. I think he <laughs> <laughs> started cast- getting casting calls. I think Terry actually did a movie with Margaret Hamilton after this in the really? 40s. Yes, I really <laughs> think so. Could I fix you or pick me up? I don't want to pick me up. Well, I just thought that hair the dog would fit you and might help you. Oh, thanks. Now tell me, which suits did you send out? Your gray plaid suit, your blue suit, and your full dress. Also, your pajamas, which I didn't send to the cleaners waiting for the laundry. Props to Toto. Uh, so anyway, this budget of $2.7 million is insane for its time. Insane. Ludicrous. Yeah. Ludicrous. This is not like what movies costed back then. No. This is... We just recapped everything that's going to go into it, right? All of the casting, all of the special effects, the music, the scenery, the matte painting, everything, right? We got a director. We got our cast. Everything's in place. So filming begins in 1938, October to be exact. And we will talk all about that on the other side of this break. Right now, Quinn and I are going to go dive through the window yeah. and into a lake. But folks, whatever you do, follow the yellow brick road to the bathroom, maybe. Uh, join us on the other side of this because we will be getting into the second half, making the movie, right here on Acid Wash Memories. We're off to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz. We hear he is the wizard of wizards. If ever a quiz there was, if ever a ever a quiz there was, the wizard of Oz is one because, 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 because of the wonderful things he does. We're off to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz. Toto? It looks different. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. It sounds different. Because for the first time, it's digitally restored and remastered in digital stereo sound. That makes a difference. And on the big screen everywhere. The Wizard of Oz Special Edition. You've never seen Oz like this. Rated G. Starts Friday, November 6th at a theater near you. Coffee? Simple adjustment, Cora. That clock's as old as the hills. Old? Something works, you stick with it. Mmm. My Mildred ought to taste this coffee. It's Maxwell House. I think it tastes best. It's always good. Only kind I sell. Only kind? Son, when something works, you stick with it. Got that? Maxwell House is good to the last drop. Maxwell House. Introducing the Great American Cheeseburger with an Italian accent. It's Wendy's new 99-cent Junior Mozzarella Cheeseburger. It's a thick slice of rich mozzarella melted on top of Wendy's fresh beef. And to make it even more delicious, we created a zesty Italian herb sauce. Wendy's 99-cent Junior Mozzarella Cheeseburger. A delicious new addition to Wendy's 99-cent Super Value Menu. Okay, Dave, you're on. It's Amore. And now the conclusion of The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Welcome back to Ask Wash Memories. I'm Joe Murata, alongside the Tin Man. Hi. You have Mr. a heart yet? Yeah, not yet. It's, not yet. The movie's not over. Sorry. The podcast isn't. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for sticking with us here. We know this is a little bit longer than usual to go to break, but listen, uh, Quinn wanted to do this one, surprisingly, and I was not going to... I discarded the, the notes I was going to start making because we had a different topic, you know? Yeah. 
I was like, okay, let's let's yeah, do it really, now. He really wanted to do this. Yeah, but you brought it up, so yeah. I'm going with it. Folks, we hope you like it. And uh, if nothing else, we hope you're learning something, even if The Wizard of Oz isn't your favorite movie. We're even sure if you're just it. like a movie person, I feel like this is a good episode for you. Like, sure you just like so. movies. I sure hope yeah. so. And if you like what we do, please give us a follow on your uh, podcast app of choice. You know, subscribe and leave us a review there as well. That'd be much appreciated. Okay, so we left off. Everything's in place. It's October of 1938. Okay. Q4 of 1938. Director Richard Thorpe at the helm. And what he did is he filmed... Because movies, you know this, folks, are not shot in sequence almost no. ever for various casting, scenery, budget, costume reasons. They, they schedule things in a certain order for a certain reason. Certain reason, yep. yep. So uh, he actually started with near the end where the four uh, the foursome is in the witch's castle and like the escape from it, you know, okay. that era. So there's a few other things that Richard Thorpe filmed besides that. Uh, a couple with Dorothy and the Scarecrow, and this was uh, where she meets the Scarecrow. One of the things is the yellow brick road initially was not bricks, but like almost like a painted linoleum in the original (laughs) iteration. And Richard Thorpe had Dorothy in, or Judy Garland, in a blonde wig. So yeah, this this hair situation, right? Because like I've seen shots of this movie with with her with that hair, and it's very confusing because I'm like, this is not... It's not even just the color because the color's not as relevant as the. It's like longer the and style, like curvier. Yeah. Like her hair is just different, and her dress is different too. It's fancier. Yeah, that's so, not as noticeable to me as the hair. Good the point. hair is like very overt. So here's the deal: here, Richard Thorpe had Dorothy playing this very Hollywood, very exaggerated, very starlit. Oh yeah, she looks like I like I was describing those old Hollywood and like beautiful and you know yeah. just over the top like like this is not what people look like in right. real life looks right. like right much like today you yeah know, they'd still do that uh, but Judy Garland is not that type and I don't know if she wanted to be or not but she was really playing against type yeah. by doing this but not only that more importantly playing this very exaggerated Hollywood Dorothy you know what this is doing. It's lessening the impact of Oz because Dorothy's a farm girl from Kansas. She don't look like no farm girl in that wig. Very plain. Not a pun on the geography of Kansas, but very plain and very simple. She looks like Margot Robbie or something. Like, what is this? Like, this is not right. (laughs) You you can look these all up, folks. Yeah. In the finished product that we know and love, right, the big contrast is is in Dorothy from Kansas going to this magical land. Right. They're all over the top there. She is still Dorothy Gale. Here, she, like, fits right in with Oz. Yeah, she's, <laughs> like, disturbingly, like, beautiful. Yeah. Like, it's, like, just not, like, not even, like, normal person, right? right? And also, how do you fit her into the Kansas scene? Like, this person lives here? Exactly. Like, what the hell is she this? looks like she lives in Beverly Hills or something right, yeah. like that. If you please, I am Dorothy, the small and meek. Another thing that Richard Thorpe had was uh, the witch had her hair down, which is very disconcerting because huh. Margaret Hamilton's witch. Yeah, that's not what her hair is <laughs> like. Right. So, just for the record, and even in this shot, Quinn, that we're looking at here, Dorothy looks like too happy and like proper for this movie. What is even this scene? Like, why does the witch look like she's like hanging out with her? Like. <laughs> Like, like they're watching like a Cubs game or something. Yeah, like well, where? What is this picture from? <laughs> it's when Toto runs away from oh, okay. the guards. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> this, this looks really weird. <laughs> so we get ten days of filming. Back then, the producer like 
creative vision still rested on the, the shoulders of the producer even. Right. So in this case, Mervyn Leroy is reviewing these 10 days of footage that Richard Thorpe, master of economy, has shot and decides that he is not a master of getting what he wants out of this picture. Hmm. And at the same time, Buddy Epson, the Tin Man, remember him? Yeah. He goes to bed one night. He tries to breathe and he can't. So it turns out he has had a toxic, some say allergic, but I believe it is toxic reaction to the aluminum powder that he's been Oof. inhaling for almost two weeks. Oh. And it has coated his lungs and his body is reacting to it and he is brought to an oxygen tent in the hospital to recover because he cannot breathe. So we've got a problem with the director. We've got a much more serious grave problem with one of our principals, Buddy Epson. So production is shut down. Okay. Yeah, 10 days in. And there goes your budget, too. That's not good for the budget there, Michael. So what happens? 20th Century Fox is nice enough to loan MGM one of their character actors, singers, and dancers, Jack Haley, to replace Buddy Epson as the Tin Man. Someday they're going to erect a statue to me in this town. So Jack Haley was uh, just one of your, again, one of your actors of the time. You know, not a big yeah. star, a uh, actor, right? It's a role where you're in makeup. Like, even Buddy Epson, he was big, but he wasn't like... He wasn't that big yet. Yeah, he's yeah. not Clark Gable or No, anything, not right? exactly. He's not Clark Gable. And quietly, under the radar, that powder, remember the powder? Mm-hmm. They switch it to an aluminum paste instead. Yeah. So he doesn't, you know, breathe it in. So he, It's funny you say that because he is more pasty in the movie. He is pasty. Not powdery. Not powdery. Not, <laughs> Buddy Epson was powdery. But Richard Thorpe, not cutting it, he is dismissed at the same time as director. And a new one is brought in. George Cukor. Hmm. George Cukor had done some work for both RKO and now with MGM, but he doesn't actually film any scenes in The Wizard of Oz. He comes in on a very interim basis because he knows he's out the door soon for another project. What he does is he fixes more than anything the Dorothy character. Oh, thank goodness. The way Judy was playing it, yeah. the costuming, the hair. It's her natural hair with some extensions now, yeah. not a blonde wig. Much better. He's the one that told her, remember, you're just a little girl from Kansas. Play mm-hmm. it that way. And at the same time, they got that new yellow brick road, the iconic one. Oh, that we the know good one? Day. Yeah, not thank the goodness. painted fucking kitchen floor version. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I mentioned George Cukor had to leave in early November of 1938. He had a commitment with David O. Selznick to direct... Another epic movie you might have heard of, Gone with the Wind. You should have made your presence known. In the middle of that beautiful love scene? That wouldn't have been very tactful, would it? Is it appropriate time to talk about, like, the Gone with the Wind factor here? Mm -hmm. So as this is going on... You love this movie. um, (laughs) Gone with the Wind is being made, and, and Gone with the Wind is one of the biggest films of the time. Absolutely. Bigger than this. Bigger than this. It was. More adult. I would say it's a it's a love story, historical it's horse historical drama. It's, <laughs> it's interesting. It's got it, wind. Oz has a tornado, very it, similar. It's talking about a war that, you know, there's still people alive that perhaps fought in it. Um, about the Civil War. The Civil War. For those that don't know. Yeah, it, it's 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 an epic, right? That's it is. How, that, it that, is. It's very uh, long. It's very it's yeah, it's getting even the time and it everything. It's like, really yeah, long. Like, no, they went all out on this. This is a big, big project. Yes. A huge promotion and yep. You know, it's one of the best-selling movies of all time. Yep. It, it just everything about it is big. It's got so, Clark Gable in it. It's got Clark Gable. It's got um, Vivian Lee and big breakout for you her. You know, uh, like it's just it's huge. It's a huge movie. Huge. And so I can see why this guy was like, I'm not going to do this kitty movie. It's the biggest movie. I well, mean, yeah, there but must he was have been, already he already had a commitment with David right. Selznick. Yeah, and I'm just saying Hollywood knew 
about Gone with the Wind before it was even coming out. Like this was this was a big oh, yeah. this was a big project in the industry. Like Absolutely. this was a, this this was a novel that people knew about that they were going to yes. make a movie, they not a kid's story. Yeah, and it was going to be a big big deal. To put it in perspective, before we go back to Oz here, Gone with the Wind was very much treated as the the much bigger project versus The Wizard of Oz, despite all of the stuff that we just outlined in this last Think hour. Think of it like if, if you were around in the 90s, it was a project the size of, like, Titanic. Like, that kind of movie. Yeah. Like, it was it was a historical epic. Right. This is Rush Hour, you know? Right, yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, this is... This is, this, this is it's going to some... be a good movie, budget, you know? This is, like, high-budget Disney Channel. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that, Disney like, Channel. Yeah. So, yeah, more on Gone with the Wind coming. But, yeah, let's, it's a good time to, to break to that. So, George Cukor's off to direct that for Selznick, right? Enter another director, this time Victor Fleming for The Wizard of Oz. Uh, he had been an active director since around World War One, so we're talking the silent era. Yeah. Known as a no-nonsense tough guy, but he also had a soft spot for the story due to his two little girls. So, he wanted to direct the movie for them. He wanted to do this. He wanted to do it, yeah. And he picks up where George Cukor left off, and filming, thankfully, resumes now, okay? Now, is is Victor Fleming the final director name on the credits? Like of yes. The, the he, actual, he's the actual director okay. credited. Okay. More on that, though. <laughs> uh, along the way in the filming, again, we're not going to get too deep into all... You can look up the list of all the bullshit about how hard it was to film. The biggest one, though, Margaret Hamilton, the Wicked Witch... She enters and exits Munchenland through a trap door, and there's a fireball around her, right? Which, yeah. like we said, real fire, really is mm-hmm. fire. Well, they did a take, the one you see in the finished movie, where if you look for like a fraction of a second, you can see when she's leaving the trap door before the plume of smoke. You can see the door, right? Yeah, I, I've noticed. Well, they had her do it a few more times, and on one of the times, the trap door did not deploy fast enough, and she was severely burned. So much so, she was out for weeks for doing this. Not only was it the burn. Let me guess, the makeup was... Copper. Yep. Flammable. Mm -hmm. Toxic. Not good. Very, very bad. This is like a harrowing experience so far to make this children's fantasy movie. You got people in costumes that are that they can't move in. Like the Tin Man costume, he couldn't fucking I don't, do Yeah, shit. I don't even know how he was moving. He had to lay against like the equivalent of an ironing board just to like recline. He was actually rusted, basically. <laughs> yes. Uh, the lion had, because of the like lion mouth, he couldn't eat anything but like soup. <laughs> when he was in costume, Actually, somebody had to feed him too. How do you eat with those hands? Yeah, the paws. Some, probably somebody he had to have an assistant like put it in his mouth. <laughs> Margaret Hamilton, when she was okay, she couldn't get any of the green makeup on her food, so she had to eat like with wax paper and very oh carefully. Oh my god! They weren't allowed to eat at the commissary because they would scare people. Legitimately, it sounds like they would need assistance to eat. Seriously, like, like I'm not sounds terrible. Like I'm not trying to like they're not not because they're big stars, but because they're like physically unable yeah. to like. Uh, Betty Danko, who is uh, Margaret Hamilton's stunt woman, she was injured because the broomstick exploded. Like, remember when Jeez. the <laughs> Jeez. the actors in general were just uncomfortable. So this, I feel like this is a time to bring up a common rumor about the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> is it true, Joe? Okay, go ahead. I have to Let's ask because the there, there, there's people probably wondering. You're go saying ahead. all these horrible things happen. Yes. 
Is it true that a midget like hung himself no. in the trees and you can like see it in the background or something? It's not true. So this, this is this is a common like for years. Like this is like so common that it's like one of those things in the modern day. It's like that this movie is known for. Yeah, like Listen, it's real. Folks, if you want to believe it, I can't change your mind, but yeah. I'm not going to try to convince the people that don't want to change their minds. No, the bottom line is nobody was hanging at the end of the uh, the Tin Man sequence where they're you know walking down. What you can see, look it up if you've never heard of what we're talking about. What you can see is a crane bird flapping its wings, spreading its wings. The reason got on the set. No, they had birds there to hang around and make it look more authentic. Oh, okay. So they just hired birds. They they, they had some birds in a cage, brought them in, and then fly, fly away. (laughs) Make it look real. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You know, The Wizard of Oz was first released on videotape in the very early 80s. I don't know if you know this, but until recently, resolution wasn't very good. <laughs> yeah. And this is probably where it came from because it looked like crap. It's yeah, like, you're like what is that little yeah. It's like garbage. On my 14-inch TV It might here. be actually 240p just like brought up to 480i. <laughs> might be. Yeah. It looked like shit. Uh, and even the 89 release on video, a lot of it, it didn't do it. The film has been cleaned up as best as it possibly can to this mm-hmm. day. You know, it's a bird, okay? There's an edited version that someone did rudimentary in a video at editor not that long ago where they actually edited in a hanging person which is great taste this would indicate that the video showing the hanging munchkin was edited to take out the crane but whoever edited it didn't take out the wings that outstretched to the sides but here's the thing the the practical logistical thing because the story evolves at some point from it was a stagehand that hanged himself to a munchkin that hanged himself right i always heard growing up that it was a munchkin right it wasn't a munchkin because the munchkin land um, scenes were not filmed yet by the time they were filmed. So they weren't this even one. there to do They weren't that. even so there the yet. the munchkin thing is bullcrap. Right. Number two, those trees that he would be hanging from, they're fucking plastic and like paper and shit. <laughs> Wouldn't have even held the weight. You just knock it over. Like, yeah. come, can we think here? Like, yeah. what are we, morons? <laughs> what are we doing here? Okay, well, glad. I'm Nobody glad, would notice this? I'm glad on a public program like this that you have de- <laughs> de- debunked. Of this, course, this, this rumor that people seem to believe. Uh, there's still people out there that believe it. Quinn. It's, they, they're okay. they're going to say everything Joe said is bullshit. Uh, and that's, you know what? It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. Jack Haley got an infection in his eye, though, from the paste. Oh, great. And that it, laid him up wait, for like they, two weeks. They went, up, they went to the paste, and now <laughs> it just still ma- fucked them over. Still fucked him up. They went to the paste <laughs> because of the powder. Somebody couldn't breathe. <laughs> All kinds of problems, like we said. Um,. It's not like makeup on actors was new back then. Like what? Like they, they couldn't figure out uh, this. Can, this thing is not normal. Listen, Quinn. We we're putting Jello on horses. There, there's yeah. all sorts of things going on here. Yeah. Okay, like, there, there's a lot of this illogical. Is, we're not doing normal things. <laughs> right. like, we got. <laughs> we know how to use makeup. We're not using like we're normal not using for ma- its intended purpose. Yes. Yeah. We're stretching things here. We got powder. We got copper. I mean, we're trying to make somebody look like a scarecrow man. Right, and a monkey. Yeah. (laughs) But there's a lot of issues here. These things must be done delicately. But guess what? Back to your favorite. Selznick Productions uh, over at Gone with the Wind. George Cukor is replaced as director after only three weeks on Gone with the Wind. And this George Cukor, he, he, he's so unlucky, right? It's like he, He's like, oh, I got to do Oz now. Wait, I got to do this. Shit. That's actually, what a distinction. I directed both For Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind barely. for like five minutes. So David O. Selznick and the big star, Clark Gable, they both appeal to the new director they want, Victor Fleming from The oh, Wizard no. of Oz. Yes. <laughs> So guess what? Victor Fleming agrees 
to go over to Selznick. Now, I'm not going to lie, Joe. Considering the buzz in Hollywood during the time, this is a this is a primo move to get an upgrade to Gone with the Wind. Well, he's right? not stupid. It's, this is like. Oof! I'm gonna get an Oscar for this, right? It's like, yeah. And he's done a, bu- he's done a, bu- and he did get an Oscar, by yeah. the way. He's done a bunch of the movie already, mm-hmm. but it's not done. Enter our last director, King Vidor. Remember King? Yeah. Now King Vidor, wow, an actual king, an actual king. Uh, he was another experienced director, just through the system. He comes in to kind of wrap things up. He was a friend of Victor Fleming's. He films all the Kansas scenes. They were done near the end. And some pickup shots uh, in March of 1939. So we're in March of 39 now. We started. So the movie's just about done. This guy just kind of mopped up things. Mopped up, did Kansas. So Victor Fleming got credit in the end for Wizard of Oz. I'm glad you asked that because maybe I didn't. Like, how was the how was the credit doled out? Perfect. You know, I should mention this now. All of the Richard Thorpe footage Mm -hmm. was never released. Okay. Okay. The the weird Dorothy wig and the bad yellow brick road and Buddy Epson Tin Man. So he doesn't really deserve anything. Like none of it even made it into the final product. He's not the director. Yeah. The problem is the footage was never able to be preserved because there was an MGM fire in the sixties and they've heard about that. That's a that's a huge deal. Like a lot of a lot of old footage. Yeah. That that's why a lot of film is lost because of that one fire. And I believe this is a casualty of that. Okay. But since none of his film made it to the final picture, he's not credited. George Cukor didn't film anything. He came in as director, but he basically just made some changes and paved the way for Victor Fleming. Mm-hmm. King Vidor was a friend of Victor Fleming's, and he personally refused to have no credit. Interesting. Once Victor Fleming, so it was just a favor. He's like, I'll just mop up the rest of the yep. movie for you, and yep, no credit. Know, we'll, we'll put it. We'll put it out there. It, just pay me whatever. I'm yeah, whatever the it. MGM shit is. Yeah. It wasn't until Victor Fleming had already passed away that King Vidor even publicly spoke oh, about. Oh wow! Being Nobody the even knew he didn't he came he didn't make it public. He, he he. This was just a straight up like the studio mop knew, up but, job favor deal. Yeah, right? pretty much. Interesting. Uh, and filming finally wraps um, in the beginning of May of 39. One last pickup shot. I don't know what it was, but that was it. And then, of course, comes the long and arduous editing process, which we'll get more onto later. But finally, in August of 1939, almost a year after filming began, The Wizard of Oz was released to theaters. And again, we said we would do a brief walkthrough of the plot. I guess we can do this in very simple tones. Quinn, obviously, any interjections you have, any questions you have along the way, Make it known. I'm going to do this off the top of my head because I've you, seen it You don't really times. need to. Um, I don't need to look at anything for this. Yeah. So obviously we open with Dorothy kind of running through Kansas with Toto and talking about how Toto, you know, got hit by Miss Gulch. She isn't coming yet, Toto. Did she hurt you? So Dorothy runs to uh, Uncle Henry and Aunt M on the farm. They're busy counting the chicks because the incubator broke. We see the farmhands, Hunk and Hickory and Zeke, and they're kind of dopey, and they're trying to fix a wagon. But they're very nice. They're nice enough, yeah. And now she says she's going to get the Dorothy. service. Dorothy, we're busy. Ann M is very, like, terse and very, like, Dorothy, no one cares or whatever. Like, no one seems to care about her. I always felt bad for Ann M at the beginning because they portray her like she's mean, but she's not. She's not mean. Yeah, no. she's, she's just, it's just, like, a day in Dorothy's life where she's Ann just not Ann in had a good to, like, mood. She had to, like, police Dorothy, Well, basically. and their incubator like, broke. 
joke, and they yeah. have these chicks that Anne's were trying to just save. having yeah. a bad day. Just and she's a bad like, day. Just Dorothy, like, what the hell? Yeah, like, yeah. basically. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, and then Dorothy falls in the pig pen. Zeke saves her, blah, blah, blah. Why, Zeke, you're just as scared as I am. <laughs> What's the matter? Go let a little old pig make a coward out of you? <laughs> Look at you, Zeke. You're just here, here. What's all this jabberwopping when there's work to be done? We then get to Miss Gulch coming in, riding on her bike. That's Margaret Hamilton, of course. Mm-hmm. So she is complaining about how Toto bit her. Me, she bit you? No, her dog. Oh, she bit her dog, eh? No. She has an order from the sheriff to take Toto. Uncle Henry and Anna M read it. They have no choice. They let her take Toto away. Toto escapes the basket, runs back in through Dorothy's window. She had already sung yeah. over the rainbow. Sorry about that. I missed that part, but she had sung it. Dorothy and Toto, they run off to Professor Marvel, who is kind of just like a huckster, a shyster, yeah, you know, a, a fortune teller. Traveling bullshit yeah, guy on the side of the street. Fucking carny, right? Yeah. Like literally on the side of the literally street. Literally on the side of the street, yeah. yeah. And he's got a horse named Sylvester. Anyway, she goes in there, and that's where we learn that she's just disillusioned. She's running away, blah, blah, blah. He feels bad for her. It's all bravado. He he feels bad and for her. And he kind of talks her out of running away. Yeah, he He's, does. like, very kind. He is nice. He's, yeah. He's like, oh, shit, this kid really wants to run away? Yeah, he's like, I need to, like, t- get tell her to not do that. Yeah, so he gets the fuck out of there. Yeah. Then it looks like a storm's ruined. It's a twister. It's a twister, right? Yeah, and he's like, you got to get out of here, yeah. Dorothy, right? Go home. He's like, poor little girl. Hope he makes it okay, or whatever, Yeah, right? it's like, like a very real scene. Yeah, he does like her. Yeah. Right? So we get there. The farm hands are on the look of Dorothy. Where is everyone, right? <laughs> Dorothy! 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 It's a twister! It's a twister! Dorothy! And they all go into the storm cell, but she doesn't make it in time. She's trying to then. The window hits her in the head, which wasn't there when Toto jumped in. How did they not hear her? I always ask the question. She's like literally like banging on the door with her foot and shit. And oh, they, it's tornado. Yeah, Maybe they, they think it's a debris. It's, yeah, but they, they don't know where Dorothy is. You'd think they'd be like... Oh shit! Something's on there. Like maybe it's her. Like, <laughs> <laughs> True, but they yeah. don't. They don't do it. So she goes into her room, gets knocked out, and then seems like she starts to dream that she's in a tornado. So we see various images pass by: guys in a rowboat, like weird, dumb shit. Yeah, a cow. Now you know? the scariest part of oh, this scene my God. is so like you see Miss Gulch on her bike like fly by, and then she turns into the <gasps> witch before you even know who the witch is. Right. Before you're even introduced, and you're like. That's weird. Yes. And then it's like not mentioned or anything. Like, you know she, what I mean? She does the laugh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I used to think as a kid, this is like one of the rumors. It's nothing. It's literally nothing that that was the Wicked Witch of the East that she turned into. Because yeah. then the house falls on the Wicked Witch of the, so Witch of the I, East. You know, it's funny you say that because I thought the same thing. I wonder if that's I just thought, like I thought that's the, that's the transition point. Meaning that like, oh, the Wicked Witch of the East flew by. Yeah. And by accident, she got crushed. Right. Right? Like that's, that, that's the point at which, no, we're in the other world now. That's what I always right? thought too. Yeah. I wonder if that's what it is. But anyway, the house falls, right? Which we talked about on the stick or whatever. Mm-hmm. She wakes up. And she's in this weird, colorful place, and she has a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Mm-hmm. The munchkins come out. Glinda comes in a big pink bubble. Another effect, by the way. Yeah. I think they filmed a ball on a screen and then used projection now, for Glinda that Glinda doesn't come right away, right? Like, the munchkins are like... First. They, they, like, notice, like, the shoes or the, the socks or whatever the hell, like, are sticking out of the house. <laughs> the ruby slippers, yes. Yeah. The shoes or the socks, yes. <laughs> But then Glinda comes, are you a good witch or a bad witch? All that, right? I'm a little muddled. The munchkins call me because a new witch has just dropped a house on the Wicked Witch of the East. And there's the house. And here you are. 
Then the Wicked Witch appears, and right. we find out. Remember, she's like, who killed my sister? That's right. her first line, I think. Right. This is the Wicked Witch of the West. She's worse than the other one was. Who killed my sister? Who killed the Witch of the East? Was it you? So, like, Dorothy's just dropped into this drama. Yeah, she didn't right? want anything to do with this. Glinda's there to, like, simmer everything down. <laughs> like, she's like, this girl didn't do anything. She's like, not afraid of the Wicked Witch of the West yeah. at all, by the way. She's oh, like, yeah. Glinda just, like, is like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like. You have no power here. Yeah. The yeah. <laughs> rubbish, or whatever yeah. she says to her. You stay out of this, Glinda, or I'll fix you as well. <laughs> oh, rubbish. You have no power here. Be gone before somebody drops the house on you, too. So the Wicked Witch wants the ruby slippers that her sister was wearing. Mm-hmm. And if you recall, they're sticking out. She reaches for them, and then the, f- the slippers disappear, and the feet curl up. Yeah, and go under so the house. creepy. Now, the Wicked Witch has a mortal enemy in Dorothy who is wearing the slippers. Now, I have a, I have a plot question here that always confused yeah. me. Yes, sir. Are the shoes transported onto Dorothy via the actions and magic of Glinda? Or is it just like some property of the shoe that whoever kills... The person wearing it just like they like transport onto them. I think that's you know what I'm yes, saying. Yes, that's what it is. Like, the witch later in the movie says the only way that she can get him is to kill Dorothy. Okay, that's why so she wants to th- kill her. So that that's just yes. that's the shoes. That's not Glinda didn't do some like, I don't crazy think so. shit there. No, I don't think she had anything to do with it. Okay. She's just like aware of it. Yeah, because Glinda's standing there when it happens. And I'm always like, did Glinda do that? No. Like, why would she put this girl in danger? Like, it's kind of screwed up. No, but Glinda's a little smug about the whole situation. Yeah, Glinda's is she not? like, this is good. Like, <laughs> this is a good thing. She's like, like fuck you. Yeah, <laughs> the witch. So anyway, I'll get you my pretty and your little dog too. One of the classic lines to come out of this. She was like electrocute the witch or some shit. Later, to, yeah, you're yeah. right. So then Dorothy's got to follow the Elbrick Road to get to the wizard who can help her get back to Kansas, right? Mm-hmm. So she does, and on the way, she meets a scarecrow, and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm only made of straw, and if I only had a brain, do-do-do. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. They're like, okay, well, the wizard will get you a brain. Let's go see him. And they skip along into the, yep. into the painting. They skip along into the painting, and then they come across a, a forest with apples, right? Uh-huh. And the trees are like, hey, don't do that, or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean. Very creepy. They, they have, like, arms and shit. It's screwed up. They get into an apple fight. Don't with they? They the get tree. like upset that you're like they're going. They're, you're taking my head, my hair off, or whatever. Like, and they start like throwing the apples to like, hey, get away from us because we can't move. The trees like, are assholes. To be fair, oh god, they didn't put like the trees territory. Like they didn't. The trees are just like get away from me. Like you're taking my body off. Like, okay, fair, like, fair, fair, fair. Right. Well, how would you like to have someone come along and pick something off of you? Oh dear. I keep forgetting I'm not in Kansas. But along the way, they meet the Tin Man. They find out he rusted in the middle of a chop, uh, but he doesn't have a heart. No heart? No heart. He wants a heart. Just because I'm presuming that I could be kind of human if I only had a heart. And he sings about it. They all sing about Wasn't their like problems. Wasn't it like a really creepy cabin where he is that I well, really never liked that? What's especially creepy is when the witch appears on top of it yeah. and throws fire at them. Here, Scarecrow. Wanna play ball? <laughs> She's so mean. That cabin always was very unsettling. I think that's supposed to be his house, right? Yeah, it's implied that, like, I don't know, he lived there or something. Remember in the very beginning of that scene, you see the witch, like, in the frame? Yes. And she backs out. She's, like, 
kind of spying on yes. them, right? Like, and it's only for like two seconds, and you got to really look for it. God, it's creepy though, right? Yeah. She's like, dun, dun. I actually like I like that because that that little bit explains why the hell she's even there. Yep. Like later, it's really right? good. Yeah. So they're like, okay, why don't you come with us? The wizard will get the scarecrow brain, get you a heart. I'll get home to Kansas. We'll all be good, right? Mm-hmm. So they keep going, but they enter this, you know, this forest, right? They got to get through the forest to get the Oz, right? Like, right. that's the last, like, thing in the way. The last obstacle. And they're like, well, what might be fine here? You know, lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. They bump into something, and we have the lion growling. So the lion, when he pops in, is scary. He's all wild. Like, he's, like, jumping off rocks and shit. Like, yeah. And then finally, like, I, I forget who, like, who's, who's like, ah, stop it. Or, like, somebody tells him to get away. Dorothy. Dor- yeah, so Dorothy. He goes after Toto. Yeah. It, she it, slaps She him. gets, like, pissed. She's like, hey, that's a little dog. Like, leave him alone. She's and like, then, shame on you. Yeah, and he just, like, cowers. Because he's cowardly. Because he's cowardly. It's all bluster. Yep. And we find out. He's like, oh, why'd you hit me like a big baby? (laughs) Why'd you have to hit me so hard? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, what a fuss you're making. Yeah. It's very funny. (laughs) Like, almost like Tin Man's like, this is embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) Tin Man and Scarecrow in the back, they're like, are you fucking serious with this guy? (laughs) Shame on you. What did you do that for? I didn't buy them. No, but you tried to. It's bad enough picking on a straw man, but when you go around picking on poor little dogs... Well, you didn't have to go and hit me, did you? Is my nose bleeding? Well, of course not. My goodness, what a fuss you're making. Burt Lahr is amazing in this scene, though. Like, yeah. you lopsided bag of hay or yeah. whatever. <laughs> I'll fight with my, one part time on my back. Remember that? Yeah, it was so yeah. funny. But anyway, we he sings also to us. He yep. sings about how he has no courage. Right. But I could show my prowess be a lion, not a mouse, if I only had the nerve. So Dorothy says, well, we're going to see the wizard. He's going to get Scarecrow a brain. He's going to get Tim and a heart. He can get you some courage. Why don't you join us? So they're off to see the wizard. They make it to the road to the Emerald City. Everything looks fine. They can see the Emerald City in the distance. One bit of treachery before we get there. Poppies. Yeah, so basically like drugs. I don't know. Yeah, opium. But yeah, so yeah, the, the opium witch. makes everyone go to sleep. Yep. But then Glinda <laughs> is like a big hero here because then her head like appears in the sky also. And she's like, fuck that. And then she makes this snow, which like, I don't know if this is like chemically accurate or anything, but it like invalidates the poppy power. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, like just, suddenly they're like, oh, we're up. Like, oh, thank, we're fine. thank yeah. goodness it's snowed. It's not. This is very unseasonable weather. Whoever says that scarecrow. That's Berlar. Uh, yeah. Which was ad-libbed. I mean, it's true. Well, usual weather we're having, ain't it? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, so good, though. Yeah. It's so good. <sighs> unusual weather we're having, ain't it? Which, by the way, there was a rumor where it was asbestos. It's not asbestos. It's a gypsum. Not yeah. asbestos. I'm just letting everyone know. I mean, gypsum. snow effects have been done. Like, yeah, it's, it's still not, bad. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me yeah. Like, you, gypsum is not something you want to be sitting around inhaling. It's the stuff that's used in... um. Like plaster of Paris. To be fair, they're only in it for like two seconds. It's <laughs> like, a lot of gypsum, though. Yeah. Gypsum damn near killed them. Anyway, uh, so they make it out. 
you're out of the woods, you're out of the well, fairy. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the victorious song <laughs> plays so as they like stroll away. <laughs> so they get to the, the guard, who rang that bell? And the whole thing, you know the deal. They get into Oz and it's like, it's lovely. It's, it's like, all green. It's like modern. It's can, like, so a, clean. You can get like a haircut and like all this stuff. <laughs> Dorothy's hair is like made into the hair that the fake hair from before that we talked about. Even the lion gets a bow. Remember, just yeah. to be funny, he gets yeah. like the hairdo with the bow. There's all sorts <laughs> of cool crap in, in Oz. Like it's basically like the big city, right? It's yes. like so it's it's it it, it, and as such it has all sorts of shops and nonsense, right? Yeah. Probably like a good convenience store there or yeah. something. Oh, you I'm know? sure. Uh Tin Man gets all the rust taken off. Remember, he's like all shiny and yeah. shit. <laughs> Okay, so they get through there and they're going to go see the wizard and the guard is not going to let him in. Not nobody, not know how, remember? Yeah. And then he cries because he hears that Dorothy wants to go back to Kansas. <laughs> Professor Marvel said she was sick. She may be dying. And it's all my fault. <laughs> I'll never forgive myself. Never, never, never. <laughs> oh, please don't cry anymore. I'll get you into the wizard somehow. Come on. I hadn't had him myself once. So he lets them in. They walk in. Now I want to I want to make a plot point here because we, we know that the wizard's full of shit, right? Yes, that's uh, we don't know that yet. In we don't the movie. know that yet in the movie, but we know for future sake because it's important for this guard. He's Professor Marvel. It's the same thing, right? Is that supposed to be on purpose that yeah. the guard is also him? It's like it's just a complete one man show on the inside. Oh like, no, that, like, like the, that he's the guard and he's he's the guy and every, he's everything that's beyond the doors. Basically, I, I don't think that's a plot point more than it's just a, one salary for an actor, right? Okay, but. It is a funny wink at the audience at the same time. Right, because you know once I mean? you know everything, it sort of makes sense that the guard would be the wizard also. Right. Like, you know what I mean? What it is is that nobody in Oz has ever seen him, remember? That's right. like the whole, like, nobody they sees the wizard. They just know that he's good or something. Like They think he's good, right? right? Yeah. But they've never seen him. So they finally get into the room, and it's a literal smoke show, like literal smoke, fire and yeah, stuff, it's, right? Yeah, it's all show. And it's a big green head. Yeah. And the voice is a booming voice. I am Oz. <laughs> so great and powerful. Right. right. I want to go home. I am Oz. The great and powerful. And basically he's, he's fucking Zordon. <laughs> if, 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 it if, is. Yeah. It's, that's where Zordon came from. Yeah. So they scare the shit out of all of them, especially the lion who runs away and does what? Jumps through a window or yes. whatever. So they got problems here. The wizard says, well, why don't you... Bring me the broomstick of the Wicked Witch of the West. Basically, he's like, I'm not going to help you. I'm not doing shit for you. Unless you get this this broomstick and like prove you're worthy or whatever. Yeah. I don't even know, like, know why he wants this. But he's okay. an asshole. Yeah. So they're like, okay. Then the lion jumps through the window, blah, blah, blah. So they're in the, the haunted forest now on the way to the witch's castle. And now castle. they have guns, a fucking <laughs> net, and like the, the fucking fisherman's net, or it's like a flying net. It's so stupid. So the like, so the lion has a fisherman like a butterfly net. Yeah, like a butterfly net. <laughs> and a big spray canister called Witch's Remover or whatever. Yeah. The Tin Man has a monkey wrench in addition to his axe. Yes, he's got double weapons. And the scarecrow has a gun. A fucking gun. Just a, a straight up gun. And none of this shit is ever explained. It's just like they have it for like two seconds and then it's like they don't. Yeah. I'll talk we'll talk a little bit about why, but basically 
in a deleted scene, the witch does something that remove that makes the weapons disappear. Yeah, we never, but we, the audience, we don't see it in the removed. finished product. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway. That's a creepy ass scene where the winged monkeys come in. They abduct Dorothy and Toto. Remember? Yeah, it almost looks. They, isn't there like an overhead shot? And I, I swear, as a kid, I was like, this feels like a Power Rangers fight or something with like putties or something. Yeah, there's one point where they're taking away Dorothy and she's in the sky. There is an overhead. I know exactly yeah. what you mean. There's one point where they're taking her away and it's like a mechanical doll, like kicking its <laughs> legs all weirdly. It's very strange. So anyway, the three remaining, the Tin Man, the Scarecrow, and the Lion, they have to save Dorothy. We see Dorothy in the Witch's there's, ca- there is a castle. Big, there is a nice little touching thing where like the Lion wants to run away, like he's a scared. Yeah. And they're like, and Scarecrow's like, Dorothy would do it for us or whatever. And they and they like, because now they become like, it's just like, the, for the first time in the movie, there's no Dorothy. Yeah. And like, they become like, we got, we got to do something. We got to like, save her. We got to save her. Like, and like, they, they like, even the Lion, like nobly, like, like yep. actually like he's st- like okay I'll do it we're or gonna do it so the scenes of Dorothy and the witch's castle are fucking intense because when Dorothy is crying into the to the ball remember she sees Aunt M I'm frightened I'm frightened Daddy M I'm frightened Dorothy Dorothy where are you it's me it's Daddy M the way she is crying it's like this is a f- 16-year-old girl acting well beyond her years. Very here. good. And then it turns into the witch, and the witch laughs and then looks at the camera. Lady, I'm not go away! I'm frightened! Come back! 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 still scares me she's like ah don't look at me don't look at me okay freaking scary anyway the uh the other three they observe the witch's winky guards that's their names the winkies wait that's a oh and they're green like her yeah what a like iconic like that chant the or chant, whatever. Yeah, it's like, very memorable. Yeah. <laughs> so I they, remember just doing it myself. <laughs> oh, oh, like who does that? The like, Winkies. Yeah. And, and a lot of people, I think. Yeah. Let us know if you chant that, folks, yeah. at AWM Podcast on Twitter. So they're able to uh, to beat up three of them in a funny scene where like you mainly see like the lion's tail swishing around. It's very much like a comedic. It's like, slapstick. It, it's 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 the classic like a puff of smoke and <laughs> yeah. like like the rolling around yeah. allegedly, and then suddenly they just have the costumes on. Like it's like, <laughs> yeah. like it's just very goofy. It's really funny because of the lion's tail the whole time. And don't, don't you also see like right before they did? There's like a timing. They <laughs> yeah. like they like they're like three two, like get like get them. Like, <laughs> it's really funny. Well, they're they're gonna attack forward and then the winkies attack them right from behind and then it turns into the brawl there's a little scuffle off screen i think yep then they put the costumes on so they're able to sneak in now the funny part is they show them like kind of like march in in. and then on like right at the very end of the scene like the lion's tail is like (laughs) kind of like coming out of the back like exposed (laughs) yeah he keeps like swatting it away it's like scarecrow and tin man kind of blend in but like lion just looks like a big dopey and he's like trying to like hit his like (laughs) like, stay down or whatever like (laughs) i'm glad you noticed yeah it's dumb like it's amazing so they get in but Dorothy's in the castle. The witch, if you remember, she sets an hourglass. Right. She's like, if if they don't, if you don't get out of here or something, some yep. shit's gonna happen. The other three are able to reach the door. <laughs> T 
Tin Man's axe finally comes in usefully, breaks down the fucking door. It is in play, the axe. It is in play right now. He's like, I have a fucking weapon. I'm yeah, using yeah. this. Like, I don't care. The, the, we, they might have deleted my other weapon, <laughs> yeah. but I, I, I've always had this weapon that they can't delete. They can't delete this. Because it's too early in the plot <laughs> <laughs> that I had it. Exactly, Quinn. Yeah. Too early in the plot. It's, it's not a plot device. Yeah. It's my weapon. So they get in, they get her, the witch corners them, if you recall, they're running away, and she's fucking scary the whole time. Margaret Hamilton is just phenomenal in this role. I just want to keep she's mentioning that. She's so fucking good. And anyway, she smashes the hourglass, remember, and then Scarecrow notices, hey, Tin Man, if I use your axe to cut this rope, that chandelier is going to fall on all the winkies. Remember, that starts yeah, yeah. like the big final <laughs> Very scene. goofy. So good. Yeah. And then... At the very end, the witch corners them. Last to go. We'll see the first three go before her. <laughs> and her mangy little dog, too. And she's like, how about a little fire, Scarecrow? Right? Mm-hmm. And she lights the Scarecrow on fire. So Dorothy just trying to put him out. Yeah, she's not trying to do anything else here. It's like, oh, no, we got to put this out. He's made of hay. Right. <laughs> she grabs a nearby bucket of water, and it's just there. I don't know why. Uh, she, she throws it. The water hits the witch, and apparently we find out that the witches are allergic to um to water. Allergic or, like, I don't know. <laughs> they, they die. What the hell are these, these witches made of? And she disappears into uh, the floor with her hat and her broomstick and her cloak. You know what I find funny about this scene? Go ahead. That the guards just suddenly like, they're like, yeah, we're free. Like, or like, they just don't even like care anymore. I'm so glad you brought that up. Because <laughs> the, the leader of the winky guards, he doesn't have a name, but he's like, she's dead. You, you killed her. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. Hail to Dorothy. The wicked witch is Suddenly dead. they're like. Yeah. Like, why were you even working for this person? Right. Like, it's just like she's dead now. They're like, oh, you could go. Basically, <laughs> I'm gonna because we're here. There is actually remember Ding Dong the Witch is Dead. Yeah, about the East. You know that was earlier. There was a deleted sequence, a very expensive one called Hail Hail the Witch is Dead. Oh, and is I- it like the Winkies celebrating or something? Yes. <laughs> Because it is weird. Like, why are they suddenly, they were like antagonists and then they're just like big friends all of a sudden. There's one very brief clip that remained in the 1949 theatrical trailer of the like, the triumphant return to Oz where they're celebrating. That's the only footage. The song has survived. The same guy singing O-E-O-O-O. So here you go. So this is the Winky singing Hail, Hail, the Witch is Dead. The original soundtrack survives. Hail, hail, the witch is dead. Witch, old witch, the wicked witch. Hail, hail, the wicked witch is dead. Okay. Hail, hail, the witch is dead. Witch, and then it turns into this triumphant... Yeah! And then they go back to Emerald City in this deleted scene. You don't see it. All you see is the very tail end where they're walking back into the wizard's room. Right. For the second time. There was this whole, like, two-minute sequence that they took out. Like a whole number? (laughs) A whole number in Emerald City. Interesting. And wait, did the Winkies, like, come home with them to, like, celebrate? (laughs) No. I don't think they're... I don't know. There's no footage of it. There's, like, four seconds of it in the trailer from 1949, and that's it. Interesting. I 
wonder why they've removed it. It's only two minutes. It's not that bad. I know. Like, I guess time or something. Yeah. But anyway, so the uh, the foursome, they go back to the wizard, and he's still a giant dick. If you are really great and powerful, you keep your promises. Do you presume to criticize the great Oz? You ungrateful creatures think yourselves lucky that I'm giving you audience tomorrow instead of 20 years from now. Oh. And then Toto pulls back the curtain. Yeah, Toto gets bold. He's like, enough of this. <laughs> and he like, and he's like, what is this? And we hear a very famous line. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Yes. Which is such a good line. I mean, they would use that like in political things. Like, in, in, you know, pay attention to, don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain moment or something. <laughs> what like, a funny line. It's, it's just very well remembered. Very, yeah. And we find out that he's just like a regular looking guy. Yeah, he's so, a huckster. So he has like a backstory, basically, right? He like explains like I had a balloon and I was like <laughs> yes. doing the experiment, and basically like I ended up here and yep. I didn't know how to get back, yep. so I just kind of like to get by, like you know. They thought he was what the townspeople thought he was something. The people in Oz, basically, because he like knew like technology and stuff. Because yeah. obviously he was like an engineer because he built a balloon. Right. They they thought he was like a wizard. Right. So basically, he kind of just did this to. It was basically to survive, right? Yeah. It was like so he could like make a living or whatever in Oz. Yep. And so that's like how he became the Wizard of Oz. Yes. So he explains that that's really what happened, but like it's all been like blown up and I'm like this legendary figure and yada, yada, yada. And one of my best lines is, I'm a good man. Yeah. I'm just a bad wizard. <laughs> such a good line. You're a very bad man. Oh, no, my dear. I, I'm a very good man. I'm just a very bad wizard. And then they, like, feel bad for him because he also... Doesn't he explain also that he's, like, from Kansas or something? I'm an old Kansas man myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he turns face. Yeah. Remember, he gives a scarecrow a diploma. Yeah. Scarecrow. He does his best to, like, you know... To like, make I up for it. Yeah, like, I can't, like, actually do these things. He, he gives the Tin Man a heart-shaped clock, the lion a medal. But then what, what I like for those three characters is that you find out that they've had these attributes that they wanted the whole time. Yes, he he says it like at the end, it's like, you know, you guys just, you already had all this stuff. Yeah. Like, you didn't need to, like, ask me for it. I can't give it to you. You already got it. But Dorothy getting home, well, she's going to go with the wizard. He's from Kansas. They're going to take his balloon. Yeah. Unfortunately, Toto jumps out of the basket because he sees a cat. I mean, and then the wizard like floats away and he's like by accident yeah he's like I can't like, <laughs> yeah, like I don't know how it works yeah like, he just like <laughs> floats off presumably went home like I don't know what happened to him like <laughs> That's they all like wave goodbye too and like Dorothy's just there all sad ah, come back come back don't go without me please come back I can't come back I don't know how it works so then she's like well fuck what do I do and they're like well we're with you at least, you know, the three. And then Glinda appears again. So Glinda pops in with this very important piece of information that she's failed to mention in the whole movie. She's like, oh, well, you know those slippers you have? All you had to do was click them three times and say it's no place like home. And it just would have taken you. You didn't have to do all of this. Yeah, that's it. And she's like, well, why didn't you tell me? She's like, well, you wouldn't have believed me. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I now, I, so I have an alternate theory about this is that. Glinda's there, a heel? No. Oh. It's that Glinda and the Wicked Witch of the West 
They have, like, they, some side beef. They had side beef, but because they're both <laughs> magical or whatever, they couldn't, like, finish each other off, right? Right, And right. so Glinda's plan was to use Dorothy to do it. <laughs> I never even thought of that. Right? And so once she's done it, Glinda has no problem telling her this information because now her enemy's out of the way. I and, just like, wanted that bitch dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wish she just, like, admitted it. Like, oh, well, actually, I really needed your help to, yeah. like, kill the Wicked Witch. But you would have you just went home if I asked you to do that. True. Like, she probably would have, right? Yeah. Because she wouldn't have believed me. Are you out of your mind? If you came down with a big bubble, I would have believed anything that you said. If you told me that the only way to get home is to lick the lollipop guild, I would have done it. Dorothy does that, and suddenly we're back in Kansas in sepia tone. In Dorothy's bedroom. And Aunt Em is there, Mm -hmm. and Uncle Henry. And they're like, wake up. And she's like, oh, how to dream, blah, blah, blah. She explains it. And then Hunk, Hickory, and Zeke also come in. They're like, remember me? Remember me? Your old pal, Hunk? (laughs) Me? (laughs) Hickory? You couldn't forget my face, could you? That's when the audience realizes the people on the farm are them. them, And it's kind of great. Also... Professor Marvel swings by, remember? He checks on her. Right, because Professor Marvel, to be fair to him, like it was kind of like a left-off like thing, right? Yeah. Where it was kind of like, you know, he seemed to give a shit. There seemed to be a threat of like, after the tornado passed, to go to find this girl that yeah. like ran right into it, right? Yeah. And just he... as a concerned citizen. I uh, I just dropped by because I heard the little girl got caught in the big... Well, she seems all right now. Yeah, she got quite a bump on the head. We kind of thought there for a minute she was going to leave us. That This has a famous line like, and you were in it, and you were in it, and you were in it, remember, yeah. about the dream? And then, of course, it ends with, there's no place like home. No, Anne-M. This was a real, truly live place. And I remember that some of it wasn't very nice, but most of it was beautiful. But just the same, all I kept saying to everybody was, I want to go home. And they sent me home. <laughs> Doesn't anybody believe me? Of course we believe you, though. Oh, but anyway, Toto, we're home. Home. And this is my room. And you're all here. And I'm not going to leave here ever, ever again. Because I love you all. And, oh, Annie M., there's no place like home. Uh, so that's your little summary there. Not what a movie. Review. What a movie. What a classic. Classic. A little bit more that we're going to talk about here, and then we're going to get out of your hair, folks. Uh, a couple of key differences from the book. There's a lot. There's Believe me, there's a ton, but here's a few. The uh, ruby slippers in the movie are only ruby to show off Technicolor. In the book, they're silver. Oh, okay. Okay. The character of the good witch of the North, Glinda, yes. in the movie, is a composite of the book's good witch of the North... And Glinda, the Good Witch of the South. Right. They East and West are the bad ones. Yep. North and South are the good ones. Exactly. Right? In the book, there's no, like, Kansas farmhands. That's a movie thing. Just oh. for the sake of, you know, making it dreamlike. Yeah. But probably the most well-known, or at least some people know this, in the books, Oz is a real place. Oh, really? This was a dream. You know why they made it a dream? They didn't think that the audience at the time would accept it being a real place. To be fair... I'm not I'm opposed not. to that decision. Yeah, like I'm not. I'm not kidding because like it does because it's 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 live action. It's not a cartoon. Yeah, you know things are more grounded back then, right? It exactly. probably was, it's a it's kind of a hard sell to say that hey, there's a real place up in up in the sky where a tornado leads you to where right. there's like a whole 
kingdom of something. It might, yeah, that's a like, good point. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, 20 years later, probably nobody would bat an eye, right? Yeah. Into the 50s, but yeah, back in 1938, 39. It's too fantastical to yeah, say it's literally. real. Uh, let's talk about the reaction. There's a myth that this was a flop, critically. It was not. It mm-hmm. was actually very well reviewed. There were some negatives, but overall, very high praise when Especially it came out. Especially for, again, it's a kid's movie, ultimately. Yeah, no, it is. It's designed for kids, so like those aren't historically reviewed even but, back then. But it was praised. Well. No, it, you're right. But it was praised for its choreography, mm-hmm. its special effects, its performances, its soundtrack. I mean, there was a lot to love and I'm about gonna, it. I'm going to say this right off the bat. From what you were explaining, it doesn't sound like the object of this movie was to get Academy Awards. The object no. was to get a Snow White for the MGM. Um, yeah, banner. Yeah, because back then, you know, the big five competing, yada, 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 right? Like, so we want we want one of those. Yeah, we don't want to be left out of this. Right. So it wasn't, they weren't trying to get Academy. They were trying to have a kid's movie hit. Exactly, and they did. Yeah. Uh, it grossed $3 million on its $2.7 million budget, which might sound on its surface like a, uh, a gain. However... With all the advertising and other overhead costs, it actually was a loss for the studio financially, but it was not a critical flop. Again, it seems like it was more an asset even with that I loss initially. I think the way to look at it as yeah. an asset. I like that a lot. Right. A loss leader, really. Can we talk about the performances again real quick? Because I just I want to make sure I don't forget to give everyone credit. Judy Garland, what more can I say? The singing scenes, her dancing is incredible. Yeah. All of it. She's just the crying, like the emotion, raw emotion, just well beyond her years. Ray Bolger as a scarecrow is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. His dancing, his comedy, his timing. Jack Haley's very good, especially in that dumbass costume. Yeah. Like, he's good, right? Every, every, like, I. Burt Lar. I just feel this movie is one of those things. I'm not even thinking about the performance, but that's a credit to it, right? It just, yes. To me, it just feels like. A full package, right? I agree. What a package, really. Yeah. Because this is a movie where, like, when I was a kid, I didn't pay attention to the performances. I paid attention to the movie. One can argue that's a good performance, where you're not even paying attention to the performance. It's you're not bringing. That's not bringing it to your attention because you're invested in the story you're you're watching. I think because right? I think the cinematography is really yeah. well done. You're buying in. The you're suspension buying in. of disbelief, right? You're not even thinking Quinn. these are performances. You're just thinking this you're is immersed in th- it. This is what it is. Yeah. Like this this is a thing. And I think Margaret Hamilton, I mean, goodness gracious, is is she not the witch of all time? Oh yeah. I mean, when I, I just think want of to a mention, witch, it's her. It's her. I mean, she became the archetype of like evil witches for a long, long time. Right. Green with the big she has a fake nose, you know, and the long chin and all that. And the laugh, just God. Uh, there were a couple of things that I want to mention here. We're getting out of here in a second that were uh, cut down or edited out in that long, arduous editing process I was talking about. Originally, the the witch wrote in the sky, surrender Dorothy, right, which is what we see, or die. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty intense I for mean, children. Yeah, again, these were to make her more sinister, right? Yes. I don't think anyone, it, there wasn't like malice. They were just like, how can we make her like a real That's bad, what I mean. bad person, right? They cut out so much of the witch's dialogue because they thought she was too scary. She was too scary. Yeah, yeah. And, and she... Listen, she is scary. There's another kid. there's another thing here too you have to remember we're pre-code so they yeah. they, they police themselves. That's a in, good in, point. in certain cases. We are like, pre-code. Cuz they were they were the sensors were always a threat pre-code. Great point. I didn't even right? think of that. You're right though. So so they they self-imposed these edits on yes, purpose back then. They did. A lot of them are for content, some are for runtime. 
there's like extended an extended dance scene with the scarecrow that wasn't re-released until 1985 and then on the 89 vhs Mm -hmm. you could look it up it's like a five minute dance sequence that he has where there's like a pumpkin that rolls under him and he goes up to the ceiling there's a scene that they cut where uh the witch turns the tin man into a beehive briefly Good lord! Remember when she's on the roof, like yeah. that that one. That sounds horrifying. I've never seen that. They cut it out. They're like, "What the fuck is this?" The all that remains is it where he says, "Let her try to make a beehive out of me," and then he flicks himself and he looks surprised. Yeah. Then there's a cut, and they had to flip the footage around so the three of them would all be on the same side huh. of the screen. Still, it's very strange. You can look it up. Uh, the hail hail the witch is dead sequence I talked about. That's upsetting. That was just like kinda I li- know. I kind of like that. And then the big one that they cut, I'm going to play a quick clip of it, was a dance number known as the Jitterbug. Excuse me? So if you recall, when the witch is sending the monkeys, she's yeah. like, I've sent a little insect to take care of them or something. She's referring to what got cut, the Jitterbug, an insect that makes you dance uncontrollably. <laughs> so do you remember the- That is some kid movie crap right there. Right? Remember where the scarecrow has the gun? Mm-hmm. In the midst of that whole bit, they're supposed to start dancing uncontrollably into a hot jazz number sung by Judy Garland. Wonderful. I want to see this. They cut it for two reasons. It doesn't fit the movie. It doesn't fucking fit the movie at all. (laughs) And also, it was a new fad, and they're like, we don't want to date the movie with Uh, like a 30s fad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We want this movie so we can, you know, hopefully, I mean, they didn't know about video back then, but they're hoping maybe we can re-release this in theaters every couple of years. Exactly. Yeah. But I think it's mainly because it doesn't fit the tone, because that's a scary scene, right? With the gun. It's very weird. All that remains, folks is 16 millimeter footage that Harold Arlen shot and the original soundtrack. So they they were re-released in 1989 and since then. Oh, it's like all like looks crap. It's like almost like from far away, the footage. Yeah, he's behind this, the trees. So we're not even seeing like what the camera would have seen. No. This is a, re- a rehearsal. Yeah. It's kind of hard to even tell what's happening. Yeah. Because the trees are in the way. This is such a happy song, though, right? So, wait, the evil trees are like dancing with them or something? Like, 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 that's like what looks like happening, right? It is. Strange. Oh, it's way too upbeat, oh, especially for this like evil forest. <laughs> yeah, right? that's what I mean. And not to mention, like it's funny because you can see the trees moving around, and like the trees are almost like dancing with them. So I guess the bug got to them too. They got the bug too. Yeah. Uh, so the movie was re-released in theaters ten years later in 1949. Mm-hmm. Then again in 1955 theatrically, but it was on television that it really started to become the cultural icon that it is today. I'm sure it made its money, too. Oh, it made its money. Mm-hmm. Uh, Columbia Broadcasting Systems, remember CBS? Yes, them. They first showed it on 1956, which was a huge deal because it was the first time it was ever shown on shown television. And if you hadn't seen it in the theaters the year before, here was your chance again to see it, right? right. This went so well that from 1959 to 1967, it was shown annually on CBS. And at the time, a lot of... um. With a lot of panache, a lot of uh, wraparounds from guest hosts like mm-hmm. uh, Danny Kay and Dick Van Dyke and Ju- I think Liza Minnelli. And I know my year. parents told me that, you know, every year, right. you know, we get around the TV and watch it. Then NBC picked it up from 68 to 75. And then CBS picked it up again from 1976. I see. Until 1998. Now, I first saw it on CBS in 1991. I know that. I said, seen the tape before, but I remember 
the CBS airing in yeah, 91. So my my experience with the movie was mostly on the Kitty Vision version or whatever that I white remember box, that one. I remember the white, the white box. box one with the picture of the movie or something. Yeah, it's pretty it. crappy. Yeah, it's like really junky, but yeah. it's like that plastic, like it looks like a Disney tape box. I I rented that one from like my library inside. <laughs> like because the rubber's weird or, or plastic strange. <laughs> the the Kitty Vision Wizard of Oz one, right? Yeah, yeah. So as a kid and as an adult, Quinn, what are your thoughts on this whole movie here? It's a timeless classic. It's something I saw a million times growing up, and I think as an adult, it's the making of it is actually fascinating. Yeah, I right? agree with you. And I think that's a part of that is because it was like the fabric of our childhood. It was just something everyone watched. What I find interesting too is like even kids now watch it. It just never goes away. My son is six. Uh, uh, he'll probably watch it soon. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure if he's he's due for his exposure to it. Yeah. It, it's just one of those things. Still hold up? Yeah, it's great. It's I, the last time I saw it was like a year or two ago. For, I don't know. I think it was just passing by on a Netflix. I was like, oh, The Wizard of Oz, and I just flipped it on and just went through it. I have a DVD box set. Yeah, it's, it's on the streaming services like all the time, I too. Know. Can we briefly mention this? But just because I want to get it out of the way... Dark Side of the Moon, Pink Floyd. Yeah, we need to talk about this before Very we go. Very briefly. Yeah, so, so listen. So this, this is, I'm going to ask it because it's in the rumor and hearsay yeah. uh, thing. Is it really true that if you play the Dark Side of the Moon, it lines up with the whole movie? I think it's true that if you're looking for, um, if you're looking for something, you can find it, is what mm-hmm. I'm going to say. It wasn't like Pink Floyd said, hey, let's write Dark Side of the Moon and make sure it lines up with The Wizard of Oz. It's a funny coincidence that probably mm-hmm. some stoner discovered at some point. And I think it's cool. And you can, yeah. it's synced up on YouTube somewhere. You can find it. Dark Side of the Wizard of Oz. So it actually, they, it works. It works if you wanted to. Yeah. You could probably play fucking the White Album and find your own interpretations in that too. You know I'm what sure I mean? You could. Exactly. Yeah. A couple of famous lines in, in the legacy here in the pop culture. The whole it was all a dream trope, this was a big part of that. This you know? is the movie that kind of started that. Codified it, yeah. Uh, the Ruby Slippers are very famous. The witch in general, like we talked about, witches looking like that, acting like that, the broomstick, the hat, the black cape, the laugh, yeah. the I'll get you my pretty line, the if I only had a brain trope, mm-hmm. not in Kansas anymore, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. The word munchkin was uh, L. Frank Baum. Eventually would be a donut product. A very good one. But Lyman invented that word in the book. Oh, really? Lyman Frank Baum. He invented the word. Munchkin. Munchkin. And, of course, there's no place like home. Mm -hmm. Uh, And many, many more things, folks. Over the rainbow. Over the rainbow. It is impossible to cover every detail of this movie. But we sure hope we've done our best to be comprehensive here. I don't know. I looked just for curiosity if there was any good podcast episodes by anyone about The Wizard of Oz, the actual making of, and I found nothing. And we hope that we can finally add this to the canon out there, yeah. Wizard of Oz-related podcast. Yes. I love this movie. I don't think it's the best movie no, ever. It's just you know a, what I mean? It's a sentimental, your personal kind of thing. And it's a cultural classic. It's right. A, it's a Technicolor treasure. Folks... Thank you for joining us for this long ride here. We will be back next week for something completely different and shorter. Until that time, thank you so much for being with us here. Please follow us at AWM Podcast on Twitter. Join our Facebook group and let us know your favorite Wizard of Oz memories, stories, and things like that. But Michael Quinn, as they say, there is no place like home. There isn't. We will be back next week for more Acid Wash Memories. See ya. Like what you heard? Be sure to leave a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We will see you next week.